0: Hey, everybody. This is Chad with uh, I Want to Know. I'm here with my new friend, uh, Trevor Moore, uh, comic magician and golf bro. How's it going, Trevor? Uh, very well. How about yourself? Doing excellent. I'm uh, super excited to uh, talk to you today about uh, being a comic, being a magician. I'm a huge uh, fan of comedy um, and recently got into uh, watching a lot of magicians, in particular, uh, Darren Brown.
1: Darren Brown, the uh, UK specialist. That guy's
0: insane. Yeah,
1: Watched, Darren Brown's good. Yeah, I just
0: watched his uh, Sacrifice one last night. I was blown away. My nice. wife had to stop. She's like, I cannot stand watching somebody as gullible as the guy. And I'm like, I don't <laughs> know if he's gullible.
1: <laughs> they had them all figured out. So did you uh, watch uh, Shin Lim on America's Got Talent? No. You've got to look up those on YouTube. I'm sure anybody that's listening has probably seen it. It's uh, an okay. absolutely amazing sleight-of-hand specialist and. Uh, just brilliant! Yeah. One America's Got Talent as a close-up magician and uh, deserved it for sure. I uh,
0: I watched your um, I don't remember if you put it on Instagram or Facebook, but you're doing the little card thing pulling oh, out of your hands. Yeah, yeah. That that was super impressive. Uh, I'm like I'm like in depth, just staring at your fingers. I'm like, where are they coming from? And so I, I absolutely love. I, I get it. I know it's a trick. I know that you're yep. you're distracting. You're doing all this stuff, but it's still amazing to me.
1: Yeah, it's fun. That's uh, the clip you're talking about. Was a uh, sort of been my pajama pants uh, hobby for. The <laughs> The last two weeks over Christmas break, okay. something I have wanted to do. It's probably something that'll never hit my show. Uh, it doesn't have a whole lot of function in terms of my performance style, but it's one of those kind of those personal challenges. I decided I wanted to learn some sleight of hand for challenging myself. So yeah. uh, it's uh,
0: it's been a fun piece. It's like boxers learning golf or not learning golf, learning uh, dancing. Right? Exactly. So just uh, as long as you're you know, working on your skills constantly.
1: There's a crossover somewhere there, yeah. right? I mean, it's with anything, I think there's a huge learning scenario, and I think the biggest part of learning is learning to learn. Uh, yeah. and Sometimes we get so stuck in just polishing our strengths that we forget to learn to fight the adversity and the struggles that go along with learning something new. Right. We get too comfortable. Right. So that was what that was, was a chance to make myself totally uncomfortable uh, to learn something new and, and force myself to do it.
0: thats uh, I, I think that's a massive thing for people. One of the, the um, quotes that I love, and the only person I've heard say it is Joe Rogan. I doubt he came up with it, but he says, anything, any way you do anything is the way you'll do everything. And so if you're going to half-ass your day at work, well, you're probably going to half-ass everything in your life, your diet, your foods, your goals. You're going to, you're just not going to put the genuine effort
1: in. hundred percent. It's funny when, uh, when coaching, one of the, the mottos that I use when coaching will use specifically from the golf side of the equation with my college athletes. But the idea that, uh, I don't teach golf swings. I coach people who just happen to be swinging a golf club and work with me. Yeah. Um, 90% of the things outside uh, of some of the physical stuff, but uh, 90% of what happens to them in the golf environment is simply what happens to them in life. Those yeah. that are very difficult and high-strung on a golf course are high-strung in the office. They're high-strung in their relationships. Um, those who have poor posture with their golf swing typically have poor posture at their desk job, right. et cetera. So it's so much of what we do is is the person that we have to work with. And yeah. and uh, that's a scenario as Joe Rogan was saying right it's the old them I mean, they're just saying something like uh, everywhere I go there I am yeah yeah uh, essentially <laughs> my character comes with me I can't remember exactly the quote but something along those lines and, yeah um, we're creatures of habit it comes with us
0: I think coaching too uh, opens up a whole new area of the coach's life right uh, when I started teaching uh, martial arts I taught self-defense in in Airdrie there and uh, I had done it I was really good at it. Um, at the actual hitting things and kicking things and choking people out, I was, and then I had to explain it to somebody. and went, "Oh, this is a total different game than doing martial arts."
1: Hundred yeah. percent, absolutely. Teaching it is, and coaching it is way different than actually performing and doing it. Uh, it makes you get so in depth um, on the philosophical side of why and when you're doing things. Right. But I also find quite interestingly. Um, the coaching side of the equation has brought me so much more in tune with human psychology. Yeah. Um, where when you are just working through something yourself for your own sake, you're um, you're battling your own stuff, but you're not really seeing your body language. You're not really seeing some of the stuff that's tying in. Yeah. Where when you're seeing someone else, it's painfully obvious that you know this anxiety is showing up here. I see it. I saw it when you walked in, etc. Yeah. You start to really identify body language, which is huge when coaching.
0: Well, and that's the uh, the the good. The, well. The best thing about coaching, is, or why people need coaches, right? Because we very rarely evaluate ourselves properly. Yep. And you need somebody on the outside to look at you and go, "Hey, no, you're not doing this, or you're doing this too much, or whatever it is." Because most people won't recognize problems in their own lives.
1: Absolutely, I call it the feel versus the real gap. Uh, yeah. what you're feeling and what you're really doing are often two different things, and you need oh, someone else sucks to tell so you bad. exactly <laughs> right. And and true growth happens when you sort of narrow that gap. Yeah, um, because that gap is always present, whether it's too hard on yourself or too to Soft on yourself, it can go both ways. Exactly, um, but the unrealistic scenario um, creates problems. So yeah, the real versus the feel gap, and the bigger you can, or the, the closer you can tighten that, the more success you have.
0: Yeah, I uh, I put made a post online the other day that you commented on, where I was talking about it feels like you can't make progress in anything unless you're making progress in everything. Yeah. So like if you're not working on mind, body, spirit, your goals, your family, your relationships, if you're not consciously working on
1: everything, then you're really not doing anything. That's exactly goes back to that coaching. Model that I use, you. Yeah. I I I coach the person and I teach the player. That's two different things because the person is that all inclusive thing. Those right. things are very very rarely. Often I often sort of struggle with the. We use in sports we use the term sports psychology and there are sports psychologists who specialize yeah. in psychology in that sort of realm of sport. And I agree with what everything they do and I, I think they're spectacular and they're they're very well versed what they do. I struggle with the titling we use. Um, is sports psychology not just human psychology used in a sporting environment? At the end of the day, is it not just human psychology? It right. all is. Yeah, yeah. Um, because again, the, the people who have performance anxiety on a golf course or in a hockey rink, often are the same people that had test anxiety in school, right? Um, writing their masters in accounting or whatever programs they're taking. Yeah, the anxiety is still present. It's there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. you have to work on it in the holistic sense to have any progress at all. Yeah. Um, to make any you know long term <laughs> progress.
0: My wife's a holistic nutritionist as everyone that listens knows. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I say it all the time. But that's what she does. She coaches people in life and very little of it is actually about their food. You yep. know, it's just talking to them about their issues, listening to what's going on in their lives and helping them resolve that. And then all of a sudden the, the food problems go away. You know, I don't need potato chips and chocolate bars anymore. I'm okay to eat this because I don't need comfort from food. I can get it from the people around me
1: or from myself. 100%. Exactly, yeah. right? And that's the, um, people often ask what the difference between teaching and coaching is. Yeah. You ever thought about that question?
0: I haven't. I mean, right now to think about it, it's like teaching just seems very repetitive. It's just like, here's the information, here you go. Where coaching is like digging into the person.
1: Yeah, Yeah. see, and you're right. So I think think teaching, in my opinion, in my philosophy, teaching is only 20% of a coach's job where if you are just teaching as 100% of your job, you're missing 80% of the person's potential progress. Yeah, um, The other 80% is, is human connection, question asking, uh, challenging with with the right questions, getting them to work on things, yeah. um, go in the right direction, and you know motivate them, keep them inspired, help them understand some of their struggles with it, why is they're doing things certain ways, et cetera. So the 80% is the soft stuff. Um, I believe, in, I'm a huge believer that in, in most cases, the 20% of the teaching portion of a coach's job is the stuff that honestly could be replaced by YouTube videos. If you wanted to search YouTube, you could find out how to do almost anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's not what makes a coach irreplaceable. Right. It's not the teaching component. It's right. they have an in-depth understanding of the other 80%. They right. understand how to listen to your words, connect to certain tone, dig deeper with the right questions to dig to the answer, to have the student find the answer. Right. Um, and almost steer them in that direction, right?
0: Yeah, that's amazing. That. I'm guessing that's what's wrong with our education system right now, is we have a whole bunch of teachers and zero coaches.
1: Well, and, and, and I would I would agree. I would I would suggest, I mean, I do a lot of work in a school environment. I think it's so much budgetary and system strapping that yeah. creates the problem. Not to, not to suggest that teachers aren't doing it right or wrong. I don't think they're being set up for success. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if I was to put anybody in that situation and expect them to succeed, I think it would be problematic of me as a coach to to want somebody to succeed in that environment. It's not right for yeah, them. Yeah. Um, the things they're doing now versus what they did in 1980 is astonishing. Um, the paperwork, the back end part of their job has gotten so the teachers. De- yeah. Wow. That the back end job, I mean, you know, from from student reporting to this type of stuff and and, you know, homework websites and stuff that they're updating where it used to just simply be the, the onus was on the student or there's a communication with an agenda, but now it's gotten so in depth that their job has been so watered down Yeah. that uh, I think teachers have, have the ability to be coaches. Yeah. I think they all want to be a coach. Um, be just it a, gets beaten out of them by yeah, the system. Yeah, be it a youth life coach, so to speak. But, yeah. but, but the system brings them back to just having to bare bones and do what they have to to teach because right. that's... It's all they have time for anymore. Yeah, it's all well, the time. union will let them do. And- <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I think yeah, I think I think that's the scenario. I think that uh, you know you look at uh, you hear teachers talk about class sizes, you hear uh, environment. I mean, uh, in society, it's a different society, right? We're dealing with uh, yeah. a situation now where a lot of them are uh, are, are two family incomes. Yeah, um, no longer parents staying at home. There's lots of stuff that's situationally. Um, makes the education system um, need some attention and some change probably. Uh,
0: I I had a buddy uh, come on the podcast and he's a teacher and he's one of the few that I think, you know, he he volunteers his time after school, teaches wrestling and and, uh, coaches kids and when he sees kids have a bad, you know a week or so in class then he'll sit down and find out what's going on in their home life and phone the parents and um, you know I seem to remember a lot of that happening when I was younger when I was in school teachers phoning my parents and say hey what's going on with Chad or what's you know what's happening with this but you just don't see that anymore
1: no you don't right i think and it's sort of it's sort of gone from from dialogue to monologue i think there used to be a lot of dialogue between teacher and parent um, going both ways. Yeah. Um. And so the dialogue was back and forth. There was questions asked. It was like, well, I'll watch that at home. You know, they've had a few late nights. Maybe they're just not sleeping well. There was or there's a bullying issue. There was a lot of conversation. Now it's right. sort of dialogue. It comes uh, one direction speaking to the other direction, but there's not really a conversation. <laughs> I mean, whether it's right. the parent uh, mo- monologuing to the school as to what needs to happen, or the the the, the school having to only be strapped and tell the teachers or they tell the parents what specifically is going on, but there's no. Dialogue. Right. But there's just not time for dialogue in a lot of cases. you know what I mean? It's so unfortunate.
0: Yeah, no, I agree, and I'm not trying to bash on teachers or the system. My kids are in the public school system, and and you know what? They're they're not being abused by the system or left agree. behind. But we put uh, a lot of effort into our kids as well, where maybe some parents don't. And um, you, you know, there's always that balance in life. Right? There,
1: there is. You know, at the end of the day, any successful working relationship has uh, not both people doing 50-50. It's both people giving hundred percent. Right. And uh, I I've never ever once felt that uh, the school system my children are being raised in. I've never felt like the teachers weren't. 100 percent or the school system wasn't doing 100 percent yeah um and i don't believe i have not been doing 100 percent of what my job is as a parent in relation to the school and um yeah nothing wrong with the system per se i'm happy the way it is but it's one of those uh, hypothesizing how could it always be better you (laughs) know what i mean exactly um sometimes we tend to get lost in our uh in our rose-colored glasses Mm -hmm. with (laughs) how it used to be as a kid and it's not um let's face the fact but the reality is people aren't the same people they were in 1980 either we're a very different societal scenario
0: and I don't want it to be the same way as one was a, when I was a kid.
1: No, right? you 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 can't you can't you can't have progress without letting go of the past. In some cases, right? I mean, in many cases, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and. Um, So many of the good things we have going on in our school system, I mean, my kids have opportunities in the school system now that I would have dreamt of um, one day having when I was a kid, they weren't available. I mean, sports academies in schools, musical academies, fine arts academies, what great opportunities. Um, If that's the cost of some of the other things where, you know, maybe class sizes are a little bigger and teachers are a little stressed and strapped, and I guess that's the give and take, then I don't have much to complain about. No, Uh, no. It's a great system. It really is. Um, Yeah, it's more of a... A coffee talk, right? How do you how do you fix how do you how do you, how do you, you fix a broken system that's not totally broken? Yeah. Um, how, how would you like to see it better? Maybe and, it's the better way to look at it.
0: And it really is a first world problem. Like we got a right. pretty
1: stinking good yeah. here and just right? complain
0: about something is is pretty silly to
1: do. Uh, wait, yeah. It's it's uh it's a it's a pretty North American thing. I'll tell you a funny story <laughs> about first world situations. I had a medical issue. Uh, that arose about seven years ago, and and about halfway into the situation, we were really struggling, and uh, it it led the doctor to um, strongly suggest I move to being uh, vegan, um, to battle some inflammation and do some stuff like that to keep my med levels at a minimum and that type of stuff, and make it easier to try to maybe diagnose what was going on. Yeah. Um, my first reaction was, this is gonna be hell. <laughs> um, I'm as big a meat eater as anybody. I love right. meat, still do. Yeah. Um and uh, I went, you know, but but I embraced it. I was in chronic pain. I had to. I, it was right. there was, it was no there was no question I was gonna do it, and I did it. And uh, everybody always says, Oh, that must be hell, I couldn't do it. My first thought is, well, you could if you were in my situation. Because <laughs> right. trust me, I, I didn't think I could either. Yeah. But because of the situation, I mean, I can and uh, and then they're like well you just you know you're just so limited in what you can eat like the reality is I'm not I used to no. used to be limited yeah i used to go out and have a steak sandwich a burger and fries or I had wings and fries, like <laughs> do you know what I mean, like limited. I had three go-to meals. Yeah. I mean, I never explored Chicken anything beef or pork, exactly. Right? I never explored anything off the map. Yeah. But now that you're, you you know you eat vegan or vegetarian, you start really looking at the other side of the menu. I have yeah. more dishes that I enjoy now yeah. than I did then. I'm not limited. Yeah. But the irony of it all was, there's people say, ah, oh, there's just there's no way that's ridiculous. And I thought, what a first world issue. Like yeah. if I were to be dropped into you know forty percent of the countries in this world and walk in pouting and saying, listen. To all the people in the village, yeah. get this idiot! This yeah. doctor is telling me I have to eat five nutritionally sound meals a day, yeah. and uh, but no meat. Right? They'd be like, "Did you say five nutritionally sound meals?" Yeah. The
0: President of Ethiopia said one time, he goes, "Not only do I want to feed my people, I want them to have a choice of what they get to eat." <laughs> right t- and, and we can literally walk a block from where I we know. are right yeah. now and find yeah. food. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Right, like such a first world issue is like the fact I can't have meat is a problem. It's it actually it actually got to the point where it felt like it was a bigger problem for the people around me than it was for me. Yeah. Yeah, we spent the whole meal of them talking about. Are How do you do it? Don't you? Don't you wish you had meat? Don't yeah. you? Doesn't this you know, tickle your taste buds? Sure, it does. But it, yeah. I'm not dwelling on it. Yeah, it smells good. <laughs> it smells I know great. it tastes good Good for you. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, so how did it go? How did uh, going vegan go?
1: Uh, well, it did. It did its job in terms of. Uh, it wasn't designed to put the problem at rest, so to speak. It was yeah. designed to stop the problem from being overly. Aggravated the right. inflammation in my food was sort of putting the problem on steroids. Yep. Where if we sort of took it off, then I could d- dramatically downsize the amount of meds I was taking, which was way better for my body. Yep. That worked. Um, the byproduct was I felt a hundred times better. Yeah. Um, sometimes you don't realize how stiff and, and tight you feel until you feel loose and limber. And and uh, I was amazing just how much the general you know inflammation, puffiness, my joints, just how areas that I didn't even know I had any stiffness. Felt better eating vegan.
0: So, do you think it was the taking out the meat, or did you take out grains and dairy? Like what?
1: Well, at first, it started out. Uh, it started out vegan and, and uh, gluten free, which was basically meant to eat ice cubes yeah. and uh, really <laughs> Have a cup of steam, please. Exactly. Yeah. So it was kind of it was very difficult. But once we started adding stuff in, I mean, I've just been, I've been a little bit more. I don't eat a lot of. I'm not a big grain person anyway. Like I'm yeah. not a. Uh, I always was sort of a, a protein, fruit or vegetable kind of guy. I wasn't really. Um, I wasn't really locked into eating tons of bread tons of pasta that kind of stuff so it wasn't really a big cutback on that side for me yeah I didn't have a big problem with it um, the things I missed probably at first um, a lot of the dairy stuff like having yogurt having cheese mm. having eggs that was very tough but I've since added some of those in I mean yeah. vegans just a tough sell eating out yeah um, and when you're on the road or, or you're with your family on holidays it's just it's tough to find a place the family can eat that that has something worthwhile that's vegan. So right. vegetarian yeah, is sort I'll have of the, another salad, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Four salads, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, so hey, you're
0: a big guy. It's, yeah, exactly. You gotta a, get a crap load of vegetables a, in you
1: to fill your belly. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, so it's uh it's I'm more vegetarian now than vegan, but it definitely did its job. I uh, I've played with meat back and forth in and out a little bit. The doctors have sort of recommended adding a little bit of fish in just because there's some oils in it that are good. So yeah. uh, I do have fish on occasion. Um, I do find I periodically go through a period of time where I, I get a little pouty and eat a little meat. Yeah. Interestingly, uh, every single year when I have those moments and I do eat meat, I think I'm just going to love it so much and I actually love it less than I did the really? time before. And got to the point I really just don't have a feel or a taste for meat a lot. I mean, yeah. um, disappointing. I want to be a meat eater, but uh, <laughs> bacon's a tough one.
0: I would imagine, yeah. I uh, there's uh, I wanted to tell you about uh, there's a group of people there. They go on this carnivore diet, and it's been really effective for arthritis and swelling and stuff like that. I actually, that's why I asked you, did you cut out grains and stuff like that? Because I think a lot of the sugars and the grains and the breads and the crackers and that cause more inflammation than the actual meat does, right? So, yeah. you know, they said that uh, meat eaters are uh, something like 30% more likely to have uh, 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 colon cancer. Yeah, but they're eating it in a burger from
1: McDonald's. That's not a meat eater, right? Well, that's that's, that's exactly right. It's yeah. the. The the potatoes aren't bad. It's the deep fried potatoes in the <laughs> chip bag that are bad, right? Like it's, That's it's right. so much of it is the process that, that the food has gone through to to end up on your plate exactly. or in your mouth. Yeah. and and uh, before it hits your palate, what what has it gone from to get there? Yeah, is three quarters of the battle. Right. Um, you know, you're right. I think there's so much there. I mean, um, you, you can look at meat eaters struggling, but there's a difference between a meat eater who uh, eats deli meats uh, all day Salt long, cure exactly, processed. versus somebody who's eating organic, free. Uh, or hormone-free meat and and they're grilling it on this on the, on the barbecue all the time and it's you know it's it's not fried oils and that kind of stuff. It's just, exactly. yeah, it's a different, it's a different product. Right. 100% yeah. it is. I,
0: what I realized, no, I mean, my, my wife being a holistic nutritionist, we talk about diet all the time. We try new things and I wanted to try being a vegetarian. So uh, at the time, actually, we found a local chef that was making our meals. We were both super busy. And so for literally it was a hundred bucks a week. And he gave us like all of our meals minus our breakfast and our snacks. It was, it wow. was crazy cheap. The food was just too good, though. Yeah. Um, I ended up eating too much and gaining a bunch of weight. But we did um, almost a month of just vegetarian meals. And they were fantastic. Like, every one of them tastes good. They fill your belly. There's nothing wrong with them. But- I lost energy. Like I just, I felt so down and out while I was on it. And, uh, you know, after about three weeks, I'm like, I'm just going to go have a steak and see how it feels. And I felt a million times better. And so each individual person needs to look at that and go, well, maybe I shouldn't eat but let's try it. Let's not eat meat for three weeks or a month or uh, six weeks, something like that, and see how you feel and write it down. Have a food jo- uh, diary. How do I feel after this meal? How do I feel after this meal?
1: Yep. And it's, then you can absolutely boil the, it down. 100%. I, I, and it's funny because, uh, I forgot where I was going to go with with the first part of this, but maybe come back to me, but the the, the part about, uh, you know, you, you got to try it and, and do it sort of long-term and give yourself a reasonable shake at it. Um, it was amazing to me, um, eating vegetarian and vegan, how much uh, I was f- full, but didn't feel stuffed, ever. Right. That the food just that didn't feel. feeling. Exactly, <laughs> it just never happened. Yeah. It didn't matter how much I ate of what I ate, I never felt that way, yeah. which had the downside of also the, you gotta be careful, because you don't feel full as fast, right? <laughs> right. Um, the, I know where I was gonna go at first. The, the one thing that I found very interesting was I found that um, meat actually smells better, and meat-based meals smell better cooking And often that preludes the why it tastes so good. And it actually doesn't taste as good as it smells. This is the way I've sort of found where vegan and vegetarian is very sort of spiced and and lots of sort of um, good flavoring to it because it doesn't have the fats and the oils that the meat does to sort of give it the sizzle. Right. So So, to speak. And I find that a lot of times vegan and vegetarian stuff actually tasted better but didn't have a lot of smell leading into it. But you couldn't believe how tasty it was. Yeah. So I found it was a very different taste to scent yeah. from meat stuff versus vegetarian or vegan stuff.
0: And I think you're right. You said earlier about having more options. We uh, uh, Last time we were out in Banff, was it Banff or Canmore? I think it was in Banff. There's a vegan restaurant there, and we went and tried it out. I can't remember the name of Nourish. it. Nourish. That's it. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: Best vegan hamburger mm-hmm. I've ever had in my life.
0: Well, we did... What did we do? We did the cannolis. We did... Uh, the, uh, nachos, um, the mac and squeeze. No, I don't think we ordered four meals. It was yeah. My whole family was there. We ordered four big meals and we all just kind of picked off of each other's plates and it was phenomenal. Like it, it, it was really, really good.
1: I, I like that style. It's funny that family style meal. Right. Pr- uh, Nourish is such a cool restaurant. Yeah. Um, it, because it has not only the the great food, lots of good, you know, vegan, vegetarian and gluten-free stuff. just so good so tasty, so off the beaten path thinking with the meals. Yeah. But the neat thing is that I love that it wasn't like you ordered a meal and it came plated. It was like dishes on That's the right. table and everyone had their side plate and-
0: Almost like an Asian style, right? Yeah. Just like put all the food on the table, table. and take a couple things that you want and-
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, so good. Yeah. 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 That was one of the, uh, my first real uh, r- vegan or vegetarian restaurant- Outings was yeah. nourish and banff. Just by accident, I was there and was looking for something, and I was actually going to go to the just to the deli and get something, yeah. because um, I didn't know what to get, and someone had said there was a restaurant, so I went there, and it was unbelievable, yeah. Um, and that's what I just fell in love with. It. I love. Uh, I love those types of yeah. restaurants, but the things that you try there are so different than what you would if I went to just a stand. You'd never get those flavors anywhere no, else. No, 100% yeah. would not.
0: So how was that transition for you? So when the doctor said, well, let's try this, was it like two weeks before you cut meat out or you just do cold turkey? A bit,
1: well, <laughs> I'm, I'm OCD and I don't say that is in I'm particular <laughs> and sort of air quotes OCD, 100% OCD. Yeah. Um, Without a doubt. And uh, yeah, so when someone says to do something, I'm committed to do it, it's absolutely immediate. You just don't
0: have a choice. I
1: that's just what I'm supposed to do, and that's how I do it. Yeah. Um, so it, it, the the transition was literally like 24 hours. It was the trip from Calgary here <laughs> to plate it the next day, and um, blessed to have my wife. I mean, my wife is super health conscious and and, yeah. and very aware of, of the food we eat as a family and what we do. So there were so many times that I was just sort of oblivious as to what to do. And she just sort of jumped in and said, we're going to grab this. We're going to grab that. The vegan protein powder. We're going to get this. We're going to do that. Beautiful. We got that. She loaded me up with nuts. I had no choice. Yeah. I had no choice but to, to do it the next day. I knew I was ready and, and she just sort of helped me build the house to be ready. Right. Um, the family still ate the way they normally did around it, yeah. but she eats really super clean anyway. So it was not a big deal other than just meat versus meat substitute for her. Yeah. Um, so she still eats meat, but, uh, so it was really quick, a really quick transition in. Nice, um, which is sort of my style.
0: <laughs> How long before you started feeling the effects?
1: I don't know. I, I, I in hindsight, I wish I would have paid more attention at first. Um, yeah. I would say I did it initially one hundred percent, but my first thought was it was going to be an irrelevant situation. By the next appointment, we were just going to cut it out anyway. Yeah. So I, I honestly don't. Think I supported it properly in terms of making notes or thinking through it? Right. I just did it, thinking yeah. it wasn't going to work anyway. Yeah, you know what I mean? And it was yeah. all for naught. So no big I'll deal. Do this doctor wrong. I'm exactly. do this for a
0: month. it will make no difference at all. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going
1: to make sure that this doesn't work by doing it well and then showing him it didn't work. And what it a worked. Man right thing to do. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Ex- exactly. <laughs> yeah. So and that's that's sort of scenario. So I didn't really sort of you know chronicle anything along the way. I just sort of yeah. all of a sudden it was like. <clears throat> you know what, I feel better. No yeah. question, I do. Um, I would say one of the interesting things was um, my my fog and my mental clarity was so much better. And I don't know what that would be attributed to in that equation, um, but it was yeah. huge. I did also, I did experience, I know initially I did experience the, uh, it was like I, I felt better. I didn't feel as as puffy and is inflamed, so to speak, anywhere, Yeah, uh, but I felt super tired and fatigued and had no energy. That, that so was I, my experience. Yeah, so I reached out to uh, a person I knew on Twitter um, locally who was a vegan, and uh, private messaged him and just asked her, you know, would this be normal? She said, 100% normal, and she gave me a list of sort of two or three supplements that vegans often use, yeah. because that is a common the situation. The vitamin B is... B12, exactly. Yeah. As soon as I started taking the under-the-tongue tablets, it just game-changer. One hundred percent game changer. Yeah. No longer was it one of those uh, felt sluggish, felt every bit as energetic as I would have eating what I wanted to, and arguably it felt better. Yeah. Um. Because I just, I mean, you don't realize how so much how much some of your fatigue is mental and so much is physical. You yeah. know what I mean? And and you just you feel like garbage. Yeah.
0: I think most people do, but they don't ever evaluate it, right? I know when I was, uh, you know, regular fast food eater. When I was a regular drinker. When I was, and I didn't even drink a lot, but I drank regularly yep. enough that you always have a brain fog. You always have, you know, you're a bit off on your emotions. You're never that stable. You're always angry or anxious or or uh, sad or you know, there's there's always something going on. And when you just focus on your how you're feeling, and then make the changes, it's really, really easy. I think that's the biggest part with most of the diets is that if you just focused on your food and go, oh, you know, I feel this way when I have this, you know, I, I still take my kids to A&W and w you know i will have a burger in there and I walk away. I'm like, why did I do that? Like, I yeah. feel like you almost have to do it a couple times a year to go, oh yeah, I feel like shit when I you, do that.
1: Exactly. It's funny. Yeah. It's sometimes, like I said, I do get those sort of pouty times a year, maybe once or twice a year where it's like, I'm just, you know what, I'm going to go on a meat bender. Yeah. And I do for a couple <laughs> days and it's just like,
0: this isn't fun. What, what's your meat of
1: choice when you do it? Uh, whatever's conveniently close, Uh, you know what I mean? Like I, I, uh, I love hamburgers, five guys, burgers and fries always is a, is a quick one. Yeah. Um, (laughs) you know, bacon with my eggs, uh, is a good one. There's just, there's some, and, uh, obviously on the entertainment side, I end up at a lot of banquets. So you end up with a lot of prime rib and a lot of stuff like Mm, that. And occasionally that sort of goes on, but honestly, it is one of those every time I try it. I enjoy it less than I did the time before. Yeah. Um and I, I not even the taste, it's just how I felt after, like immediately after. Yeah. Um I can't stand um eating meat before I go on stage. Yeah. It just is a horrible feeling. Yeah. But I used to do that all the time. Yeah. I can't I I never <laughs> processed that scenario. I cannot believe the difference I feel on stage, lighter both mentally and physically. Yeah. Like you just you I don't feel like My head's heavy.
0: I think so much of it, and not enough people talk about it, and maybe we don't know a bunch about it, but right now this is my theory, is that we have this bacteria in our digestive system, and whatever one you're feeding, that's the one there's the most amount of in there. And so if you're eating fast food, you have the crappy bacteria, the... the, um, Uh, what's it called, Um, the destructive ones, the ones that'll bring on disease and and stuff like that. Where if you're only eating fruits and vegetables and and good, clean, healthy meat, then you're building those bacterias in there. And as soon as you switch, which is probably my vegetarian thing, I cut all the meat out and all those bacterias went, you suck, we don't want to die. Like, help us out, give us a steak. Um, And you have to do it for a long period of time to get over it. I know even just cutting... um, Uh, like chips and chocolate bars out of my diet. I felt like garbage for, you know, two, three weeks. And then all of a sudden, you know, I had my healthy snacks there. Oh, I don't feel so bad anymore. I can have a 90% dark chocolate. and That will, one little square will make me feel as good as a whole Mars bar did.
1: Yeah, it's funny how it changes that situation. And you have to, I don't think any change, whether it's diet or anything, it makes no sense whatsoever at all on any level of logic to base it off the short term. Right. I mean, if I want to be independently wealthy, I can't go great. I didn't spend today, so I am now <laughs> independently wealthy. Are you kidding me? How's this looking 30 days? Like, <laughs> what do you have left after the mortgage payment? Like, yeah. everything has to be measured on the long term. Right. Your action needs to take place in the short term, but your measurement has to be in the long term. Right. Always has to be. You have to stay the course. Yeah. So often we get that situation where. It's like, ah, I tried it, it didn't work. Well, how long did you try it for? Right. Well, I tried it 100% wholeheartedly for two days, <laughs> and then half-heartedly for the other three, and yeah. then I complained about it for the next five, and then I gave up in 10. Right. Well, I'd be like, well, is that really the Trying scenario? It. It's one that I, I, I hear all the time, and I think you may have posted it online, the, if only it was as easy to lose weight as it was to gain it
0: right yeah, yeah i would argue it is yeah
1: if we put the same sustained effort into losing it as we did to gaining it it's R- just simple right. math it comes off the same way it goes on right at the end of the day it is just calories as easy calories in calories it's, out that's exactly right it's it's <laughs> composition like yeah. at the end of the day it is just as easy yeah it's just the the scenario is we're not is we don't put the sustained effort in right you can't you can't do it the way you used to and expect that same result yeah so it seems like it's harder to lose than it is to gain it's not
0: the uh, the problem is when to gain it, you don't have to put any thought into it. It's to, thoughtless. It's thoughtless, yes. right? Everywhere you go, there's something that's going to make you fat. Where for me to, to lose weight, to stay healthy, I have to write it down. I have to have my week's diet written yep. out. I have to say, this is what I'm going to be eating Tuesday at noon. Yep. Um, and that's the only way I can stay healthy. Because if I don't have that little schedule in front of me, then
1: I'm off the rails. You're what's important now, yep. Journal. that that, win right it's what's important right now this meal this snack there we go
0: Win. i'm gonna write that down what's important what's
1: important now right that's your day-to-day journal that's your action plan on a moment-to-moment basis it's your roadmap right right your destination is your goal but you can't focus on your goal you got to focus on the mileage markers along the way and that's your win your win journal right what you're doing right now yeah and uh yeah that's brilliant yeah and it's one of those things when it comes to achieving anything what we often get stuck in people like i'm so committed it's not working Commitment isn't what makes success happen. Sacrifices. Right. Everybody that buys a gym membership is committed to going to the gym. (laughs) Only those who are willing to sacrifice their favorite TV show and their favorite bag of chips to go to the gym make success. It's sacrifice, not commitment. Commitment is, is, is the one we often focus on and we assume that we're committed. That's why everyone has really expensive stationary bikes they hang their suit jackets on in their basement <laughs> right. because they were committed to riding the bike every night. Right? What were you willing to sacrifice? Right. Nothing. Well, the sacrifice was the problem.
0: That's so true. You think about that in a relational standpoint as well, that you can be committed to your wife and never cheat on her and go to work every day, but not have a good relationship. 100%. You have to sacrifice time for that person, for your wife, for your kids, for I like your that. co-workers. Yeah. For, um, I, I when I ran the uh, the martial arts thing, a lot of the guys would come to me with uh, marital problems. We did it out of our church and, yep. and all that. So they came for counseling and I always like, well, what are you doing for them? Well, I'm not doing nothing because she's not doing well, there you go. That's that's how it works. Yep. You, you get nothing unless you give something first yep. and, and the sacrifice is the give, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Sacrifice yeah. is the key. Sacrifice is what makes, that's why I believe people achieve set goals and never achieve them is they often get so focused on the goal, not on the win moments right. in, in in the process along the way. Yeah. And that they get focused on committing, not sacrificing. Yeah. Um.
0: How, how do you feel about the celebration? So I, I get a little bit annoyed when I see people like, oh, I'm down a pound. And I, I'm i guilty of doing it myself. Yep. Like, oh, I'm down a pound. And you, you're, you throw this big... Celebration and post it on there. Um, I sort of think it's not important. Like it's important to celebrate when you reach the goal.
1: Yeah, you know it is. uh, I think to me it comes down to the personality involved. I mean, there are some people. Let's look at at coaching in a in a simple scenario. Because at the end of the day, with a lot of self stuff that we want to achieve, we're our own player and coach. We need to coach ourselves and be the player at the same time right. and some of these things we're trying to get better at but in most cases you have to know as a coach whether there's some players that need you to raise their voice a little bit some need you to throw their arm around their shoulder and go you got it no big yeah. deal mistakes mean we're learning we're growing some need a bit of a plan they'll figure it out themselves some need to go you know what it was great you turned left twice you did fine like everybody needs a different sort of motivating piece right and so I think everybody sort of motivates themselves in a different way right I think when that motivation those little milestones those one pound one pound, one pound, I think they're great, but I think that all too often you get focused on that and you'd forget the next moment coming. And I think that it's a struggle for some people that they get so caught in the, well this is here, it's like you've achieved something. You've achieved a small victory, but you haven't won the war. Right. Let's keep the focus forward. Right. Um, we have to get past the one barrier. But taking a whole other look at that scenario, with those people that really sort of look at it from, you know, uh, one day smoke free, two days smoke free, it's no different than one day drink free, two day drink free. The reality is, you got to be in the moment, and you got to celebrate the one day at a time and the one right. pound at a time. Yeah. And in many cases, the power of those situations is not in it for the person. It's the inspiration that can be for the others that are paying attention and listening. Yeah, Um, It's the old, I did it one day at a time, one pound at a time. You can too. Just hang in there. 30 pounds happens one pound a day for 30 days, not 30 pounds more. like So depending on sort of where the person's sort of motivation is coming from it, sometimes it's that sh- shared support. Yeah, um, yeah, You're doing it not for your reasons. You're doing it going, okay, this is my accountability to someone else to show someone else that it's interesting because the reason I'm taking action today is because I saw someone else saying they lost their first pound. Right. Or they went their first day smoke-free or their first day drink-free. Right. Yeah, it's important sometimes outwardly, not inwardly.
0: I, I like that. I think it's cool that, uh, you know, I said I'm guilty of doing it as well and I kind of criticize people that are, you know, you know always posting whatever new thing they're doing and, and I'm very guilty of doing that. But I, I like that. I hope it does motivate people out there to, to try new things and to go after it and realize that we're all just just normal people that can do that can do all this stuff.
1: Well, hundred percent. Everybody, everybody on planet Earth that's ever achieved anything is just a normal person, right? Um, <laughs> <just> <laughs> em- empowered by others. Einstein I mean, was a normal it, person. They're all just normal and, people. And, yeah. I mean, they. All, you know what I mean? They. they there was no d- d- definitive different DNA makeup in them than us. Yeah. Um, somehow they found their thing. Yeah. And their thing inspired people, and those people inspired them in turn to continue forward, and the engine just plowed forward, and they achieved greatness. Right. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: So, I wanted to ask you, being a performer, being on stage, yeah, it's a form of um hypnotism that you guys do, like music does, like you know, Hitler did, like you know, there's been people in this world that just have the ability to really draw in a crowd and control a mass amount of people. I find that extremely fascinating to to sit back and you know you listen to someone like Jordan Peterson speaking like the whole room is just like on the edge of their seat or you, you hear a good comic and you just you can't think about anything about the next word coming out of his mouth
1: yeah yeah it's it, 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 sometimes the the power of a good speaker is in the silence not in what's spoken. Yeah. In the fact, a a good speaker, I'm more enthralled or or caught off by the the dead silence of the room watching because they're so (laughs) invested in what's going on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The silence is almost a better display of how good somebody is than what's actually being said. (sighs) You know what I mean?
0: That that's the scary part. So I I got this fear of public speaking. So yeah. you know they've been asked to speak at church and that kind of stuff, and I'm like, nope, not gonna do it. I can be on here and know that there's a thousand people listening, and I'm totally fine with that. But it's really just me and you and, and yeah. a little bit of electronics. Um, to stand in front of a crowd and them all just staring at you like, oh, what's he gonna say? I go into this like massive
1: panic. And that's and that's so weird to me um, <laughs> <laughs> because let me give me some background. On this. I'm super introverted. Super quiet, uh, generally speaking. Um, My favorite time is me time, quiet time, alone time. Uh, I can talk and socialize with the best of them. Introvert doesn't mean shy. Introvert doesn't mean socially inept yeah. uh, at all. It just you don't get recharged by being around groups. But it's yeah. funny because I was super, you know, sort of shy in high school, not really realizing introvert was the issue. Yeah. Um, no one in, in a million years that I went to high school with would ever believed I would have stood on stage in front of people. <laughs> I couldn't talk to a single person, let alone wow. dozens or hundreds. And um, so it's a bizarre scenario for me. But the funny thing is, it's never that part's never scared me.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I find I'm more, I find that, that you know, as you mentioned, the, the fear of public speaking, so to speak, yet you can sit here and speak publicly yeah. in a really different scenario. I find that, to me, it's, I think it's less a case of fear of public speaking as it's fear of situationally speaking. Maybe. Um, yeah. Because you are public speaking right yeah. now. Yeah. It's the situation you're publicly speaking in. Yeah. Um, if it's a room with 12 friends, it's, still public speaking to 12 people it's just a comfortable situation
0: well that's the funny part because when i taught i would have 25 30 people that was no issue for me yeah um and but i knew the content i knew what we're gonna do that that was it and then um you know even my baptism they're like just go up and read it i knew what i was gonna do i knew what i was gonna read i got about halfway through it i'm like i can't do this like my voice was shaking so bad and there was 80 people there, 100 yeah. people there.
1: It's funny how it works. It's yeah. uh, I'm actually the the more prepped I am to speak, the more nervous I am. Uh, oddly, um, yeah. I've I'm I'm much more of a. Uh, in terms of a speaking or a coaching situation, I'm much more of a, I'm going to bring the mannequin, and then me and the audience will dress it up as we go. Okay. I have a structure of where I would like to be, but I have no idea where we're going to be, because it's going to be based on your feedback, your questions, your comments, Ooh. your eyebrow raises, where this goes and where this takes us. I yeah. have no idea. Yeah. I do have a mannequin, we'll dress it up. Might <laughs> end up in a three-piece suit, <laughs> might end up in a Speedo. We don't know what's going to be on the mannequin at the end of the day. Yeah. Um. But when I come with a fully-dressed mannequin, it freaks me out. <laughs> 100% freaks me out because I think it goes against everything I believe in coaching. And that is that you have to be listening as much as you're speaking. Right. And when you bring a structured content, you're doing too much speaking and there's no questions. Hmm. There's no questioning and engaging back and forth and creating dialogue, which is what allows that to be steered and dressed as it goes.
0: Yeah. And I find that even with the podcast, like my, my wife was like, well, you're going to go research Trevor, right? You're going to, I'm like, oh, I'll read a little bit of social media stuff. But I really you talk about being um, energized by being alone. Um, this is what energizes me. Like to drive up here, I'm all like, ah, uh, like I got a three hour drive to get here. And I'm like, was it worth it? Should I do it? Should I? And then as soon as I walked, or as soon as I walked in your driveway, and met you. And it's like, my energy goes up. I feel yep. excited about being here and I'm good to do it. But I had no plan. Like yep. I have, four things written on my piece of paper here and it's just in case there's a law in the conversation. You had a mannequin. I just, just the mannequin. You so just the mannequin, right? Maybe I got to try that. Maybe I got to step out in front of a crowd and just see what happens. And
1: here, here's my, don't have a sheet, have four points. Yeah. Uh, we'll riff on those four. Here yeah. we go. Let's just do this.
0: I think too, it's, um, a fear of expectation. So with the podcast, the expectation was just to learn stuff. Well, that's yep. really easy to do. Yep. Like there's no, I don't have to put out an hour worth of content about being a specific on diet or biology or anything else. Yep. I just get to come here and learn. Yep. Um, it would be the same thing. If I had to talk about construction or or um, exercise or martial arts, I could do it for an hour,
1: easy. And that's exactly right. As soon yeah. as you know it's situational speaking. Like I said, to me, it's less... I think public speaking gets gets the bad rap. Right, it's situational speaking that freaks us out. Right, um, and and when you have when you when you know the content, or better yet, when the content knows you, yeah, you know what I mean. It's not it's not stressful at all. It is just me being me. It literally in the right coaching situation or the right situation where you're speaking. It is honestly people just there listening to you be you. Right, I'm not delivering anything. I'm yeah. just I'm just talking. Yeah, um, I'm not selling. You know what I mean. I'm not I'm not Having this, I don't have to fear the questions or where do the angles come on this or how do they interpret that. It is where it is. We'll take it as it goes.
0: That's a big thing is the fear too, right? Yep. Expecting like, what are they expecting me to be funny? Or are they expecting me to be whatever? And just letting that stuff go, I think would be important. I feel like I owe you now for coaching. I feel like I can
1: go out and do. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when you talk about fear of expectations because because people ask how I got into comedy magic. Yeah, um, I got into it because I wasn't comfortable with magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, because to me, most magicians prance around on stage in a three-piece suit uh, yeah. with a pretty assistant silk <clears throat> scarves and smoke yeah. wafting across the stage to All music mystical yeah and, and it's like are you kidding me i could not i would not go see myself do that <laughs> i would be i couldn't do it it's just yeah. not my style um by accident i ended up one time on stage when it, i was i was just a close-up entertainer at first but it was a, a, a women's curling bond spiel in, yeah. in dead of winter and their headline entertainer couldn't make it because the roads were too bad so they said would you be willing to hop on stage we'll you know, pay you what we were going to pay them. Yeah. I was like, well, I don't really have stage work. They're like, just, can you occupy some space? Like, we <laughs> totally get it. And I was like, as long as you have no expectations, right, I'm going to be fine with this. And yeah. I went up there and I literally just did magic, but I did it as me. Yeah, There was no choreographed or orchestrated or rehearsed. It was conversing back and forth with the spectator on stage, yeah. having fun with the comments, coming back, listening to the comments from the crowd, back and forth. And it became funny. And I was like, oh my <sighs> gosh, I just felt like I was performing magic as me. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? It'd be like Houdini finally performing as Eric Weiss, who was his real name, right? Like, yeah. he, you know, you're on stage in that fictitious sense, but then all of a sudden it was like, as, as a magician, I'd have to be somebody else. Right. As a comedy magician, I get to be me yeah. doing magic. That's very Whole cool. Whole different scenario.
0: So did you start with magic? Like that? that was... And where the the interest come in?
1: Well, yeah. In terms of where I started, let me give you the the whole sort of the the Cole's notes version, if you will. <laughs> um, basically, when I was a kid, I was a hockey player, um, like most Canadian hockey kids, and spent so many hours in the hockey bus.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, we had uh, we didn't have VCRs and DVD players when I played. <laughs> So, bottom line, you sort of uh, to break it down simply, you had the back of the bus was the card players, the front of the bus was the um, you know the uh, the handheld video games, which yeah. were awful back then. But the DS's, hand- exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not even the DSs; those were even those were even way beyond me. Yeah. Um, but they had the handheld video games, and uh, and they were the the readers and the intellects; they were doing homework. And I wasn't really much of a card player, so I didn't fit in at the back of the bus. I wasn't really a video gamer, so I wasn't going to play video games. I didn't, if I was out of school, I was certainly not doing homework. Right. Uh, it, it wasn't going to be that, that way for me, and I didn't really fit anywhere on the bus. So um, as sort of a, a gift for Christmas one year, my sister, because I had a bit of an interest in magic, probably no different than what I would think most kids did yeah. in card tricks, but my sister got me for Christmas a, a basic card trick book, okay. which I still have in my office, actually. A <laughs> uh, very basic card trick book. It really tricks anybody could do, but she was like, yeah, there you go. So now I could sit on the road trips with the readers and read card trick books. Yeah. And then on the way home from the game, I could go to the back of the bus in between game, card games and, and practice my tricks on the card players. Yeah. And I, I could kind of fit in. And I did that through my playing career, did that through my um, coaching career as well. Uh, and it was just sort of a hobby. It just kind of was there. Uh, in this whole meantime, I had a passion for golf. Uh, eventually became a golf professional. Uh, teaching and coaching golf for a living was sort of the way it was. At the end of the day, um, long story short, golf professionals in Canada need a lot of uh, opportunities in the off-season. There's only so much in the off-season. <laughs> Three uh, months
0: of golf here. Exactly. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Three months of golf. Um, so it ended up in a situation where I, you know, it was just an easy fit um, through a few circumstances that allowed me to start performing close-up magic. Nice. Performing close-up magic worked good, was fun. Obviously, uh, from a business standpoint, uh, as I wrote a business model and made a case for it myself, uh, marketing and that type of stuff. The stage work was clearly where to go um, in terms of, you know, financially, yeah. in terms of where you go. Um, but I could never be a magician on stage. That's where comedy magician came in because I got yeah. to be me on stage performing magic. Right. Uh, changed, became a comedy magician from there. Uh, still teaching coach on the golf side, uh, teaching coach in general, coach hockey. Um, taught some skiing for a while. Um, do some things like that. And, you uh, now it kind of all comes together. Um, my uh, my tagline for my company is Corporate Five Iron. So for the golfers out there, yeah. often everybody says the Five Iron's a favorite club. They <laughs> hit it off the tee, they <laughs> hit it up the fairway, they chip with it, they putt with it, they use it to fish balls out of the water. It's kind of the, the go-to club. Right. Um, so uh, they've affectionately called me the Corporate Five Iron. I can nice. uh, speak at your conference, I can MC your conference, I can perform at your conference, yeah. I could do a breakout session at your conference, I could teach and coach golf, I could do so many different things. So it yeah. sort of became uh, the, the, that situation, a little bit of everything kind of in the mix.
0: So do you do com- comedy clubs and stuff like that as well?
1: I, I do a little bit. Um, not a lot. Most of my work is corporate. Yeah, um, Corporate is where my business model sort of is geared towards. Yeah, uh, I find that too much comedy club work uh, is detrimental to corporate work yeah. um, in most cases. There's very few comics that have done well on both sides. It, right? it, is, it is tough, right? Because, uh, I mean, corporate world is, is is very clean, very intelligent humor, uh, very different. Not to say that, that that you know, um Clubs fouls, can't do it. Yeah, not to yeah. say that they can't either. But it, it, just the simple dynamic is that, you know, um, I have to be very careful cross-threading the scenario where you go to a comedy club, people are a little more open and waiting for edginess. Um, but at the end of the day, if there's one single person in that room who is a CEO of a company yeah. and there was any hope of me coming in to perform for them and their clients and there's one poorly placed word, I am never getting any work in that gentleman's corporate world right. ever. Right. So I have to be very careful cross-threading those two. Yeah. Um, so I do the odd one for a few reasons. Um, uh, the comedy stuff in that open setting um, I, I do it one because it gives my family and friends a chance to see me perform Yeah. because corporately they don't, they yep. never get to, I mean, I'm not sure they really think I do work. Um, <laughs> so it's nice from that perspective. Uh, it also sharpens you as an entertainer. It takes you out of your comfort zone. It's a little different environment. Yeah. Corporate world is a little more subdued setting. I get to build the energy in the room. Yeah. Where in a corporate, in a, in a comedy club, there's just a natural energy. They're drinking, they're having fun. They're out. There's a, there's a natural hype about it and you almost got to bring it down.
0: You, you all, you always deal with the 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 former comic too, right? Ex- Whatever he
1: if he bombed or if he killed, exactly. then you got to come into that same energy you're exactly. So you're you're having to try to control the volume in the room, so to speak, in yeah. that in that scenario. So it's a good uh, you know it's good professional development to be in the comedy scene every now and again. So I do it on occasion for those reasons. Yeah, um, just and also to you know to support the local comedy scene. There's a club here that I do and. Um, a few other scenarios. So I've done it in that perspective. I like it. It's fun. But there's also two models in sort of routining, and and one is you change your act or you change your audience. Yeah. Um, And it takes way more work, in my opinion, to change your act. Um, Yeah. So comedy club work requires you to continually change your act because you're going to have the same butts in the seats nine times out of ten if you go to the same comedy club all the time. Yeah. Um, So you need new material all the time. Corporately, it's not that same scenario. Um, I have two completely different shows. I could run back to back events for the same company; it'd be no big deal. But you could not. I could not run every single year at that event because eventually it's just too much work to build a whole new show right. for that group. Yeah. Where corporately, you're you're hitting out to conferences, you're hitting out to groups. You can.
0: Jay Leno did it for 25 years or 30 years. He literally did essentially the same show for all those years.
1: You know, there would be a couple of tweaks and movements in there, but hundred percent. David Copperfield yeah. did the same thing, right? He's, his, his show is almost the same show. Now, when you talk about the tweaks and in the, in, in the small, subtle changes, yeah, my show does subtly tweak and subtly change. The interesting thing is, I think most times an entertainer will say what those subtle changes are for their sake, not the crowds. Okay. Because when I'm tired of saying a line <laughs> and the crowd knows it before I do, yeah. we've lost the show. Yeah, right. So when you start going, I just... I can't even say that line anymore. Like, I can't say it with the same eye roll and the same energy that I used to. (laughs) I'm losing them on that line. I need to have a subtle change, a new segue into this routine, a new segue or an extra out of it. You need to have those new pieces, so those almost come for the entertainer's sanity, not the crowds.
0: I 100 agree because I do uh, uh, sales for a living. I, I go door to door. Well, not door to door. We we have set up. They're, they're warm calls. I show up and I tell them about spray foam and insulation and stuff like that. And I just it's basically like a wind up toy, right? This is my story about attics. Yeah. This is my story about basements. This is and you lose the ability to to do it with the energy.
1: Yeah, yeah. absolutely, right? Yeah. And then sometimes the new material isn't even a, a change that you intended. It's a question that came out or a comment that came out that you riffed off of, and you're like, oh, what a good answer to that question. That's going to be a part of my <laughs> Put that spiel. back in the storage. Yeah, and, and then yeah. all of a sudden it shows up in your, your spiel later, your show later, and you're like, yeah. I didn't even script it, and it's just now here. Yeah. Because someone dropped the seed, and it's now growing.
0: Very cool. Um,
1: and that's really sort of what happens. So yeah, so I don't do a lot of comedy stuff. I find that uh, rather than looking at it from a sense of exposure, you end up exposed. Too many people see your material too much, yeah. um, and now, of a sudden, You're forced to change your material too often. Um, all the power to the guys and gals that do comedy in a club scene all the time to change the material all the time is just takes a whole brilliance. I'm not intru- interested in. Yeah, I, can, I can't. I can't. But I look at. Do I want to invest the effort in new material or new clients? Yeah. Um, both take their own skill set, yeah. um, and and time and energy. And I think my time, energy, and my headspace is more geared to marketing towards new clients rather than. Building new material,
0: yeah. Well, it's so true in any business. I mean, you, you got to wear five, six, seven hats, whatever it is. Yep. And when you get big enough that you can choose that hat, choose the one that you're really good at and you enjoy. Right? Exactly. Just, just do that.
1: Exactly. Do what you do well and 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 run with it. And uh, you don't have to be everything, right? Um, you don't have to be everything. So yeah. So I do some comedy club stuff. Like I said, I guess was the initial question. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. it's 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 rare um, um, for a lot of reasons. But I like it. I do actually enjoy it. It's super challenging.
0: Well, there's not. there's probably not a lot of opportunity in Canada for that. We don't have the the mass amount of uh, nightclubs or, or comedy clubs. It's usually pubs that are running a comedy night yeah, here. Yeah, it,
1: it, it is. It's starting to change a little bit. I mean, there's uh, there's a comedy club in town now, which I uh, would say has been open for maybe about a year for Mad Hatter Comedy. It's, I think it's about a year old, probably. Okay. So they run uh, nightly events yeah. um, at there. So there's a bit of a comedy club scene there. Um, There are the major comedy festivals, I mean, the Winnipeg Festival, the Mount Montreal Festival, those types of things. We have one now. It's only in its second year here, uh, a comedy festival, which brings in some big headliners and and uh, the comedy festival here is 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 in enhancing the comedy scene as well. So it's good. I mean, it's growing. There's so many more entertainers out in the market right now.
0: There used to be a comedy tour that come through Calgary right around Stampede time. It would be um, the Just for Last Festival would come into town, and then this these people would come in pretty much the same week. It was brilliant because you hit any pub in Calgary, and there was a comic in there. And what I loved about it was them testing out all that new material. Like you get yes. guys that would just absolutely bomb because they you know they hadn't put the work into the jokes yet. Yep. But you would get some of the best comedy ever because they're just testing everything.
1: You, you, it's funny when you go to a comedy club; you don't know what you're going to get because yes. we, you, you may have uh, you may have an opener who's actually a high end headliner. Yeah, um, runs his own show has for 22 years. He's breaking in a new six minute bit, <laughs> right? And he may kill it as the opener. It may go, the show may go completely downhill from there. Yeah, um, you may also have an opener that sucks and a headliner who's headlining for the first time and just rip it up. He's just excited, yeah. ready to go, and you just don't know what you're going to get, which is part of the mystique of a comedy club yeah is that it is this this constant sort of up and down this flow of of scenarios right yeah um, you see everything in a comedy club you do see people who have done it for years breaking in new bits yeah uh,
0: it, it was so much fun. I don't know. I wish they would, or maybe they are doing it, I just don't know about it anymore, but uh, we used to hit all the pubs and then I'd invite the comics back to the table for a beer afterwards just to sit and talk and they were like, oh, that totally sucked or this was good and just getting yeah. kind of that you know, backstage view of what they were doing was amazing.
1: Yeah, well, they, it's, it's funny. I find that uh, one of the interesting things that I find hanging around with comedians anytime, um, I was just thinking of some great examples, this past time I was uh, headlining at the comedy club here Um, the amount of time spent in the green room in the back with all the comedians on the show that night. Um, By and large, the vast majority of comedians um, that I've met and worked with are some of the most brilliant and intelligent people I know. I think Um, so, too. Some of the ways they come up with these really weird twists and looks at things is just stunning. Their ability to perceive it through this really weird lens isn't something that happens... Without intelligence. Right. Um, and that's the amazing thing. I love the time spent back there. They, they know when things sucked. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting... <laughs> Um, what it I doesn't
0: l- seem to bother them. Like it, it, for most people, like if you suck at your job, whether it's construction or sales or whatever, like I walk out of sales call, I'm like, I totally bombed, bombed in that. there yeah. and it'll eat me for two days. Like yep. I need to go back to that house and fix this. Yeah. Um, comics, it doesn't seem to.
1: Well, it, it can't because it's such a, a fickle scenario. <laughs> but, but the thing that's interesting, I, I think a lot of times comics are super good examples if you could spend some time with them and just shadow them in terms of goal setting and perseverance. Yeah. Um, the ability to literally suck that bad on a on a twelve minute set, yeah. and then go, I got it. If yeah. I use the word "don't" instead of "do not," it might change the whole tone of that joke. Right. And you're going to go back up there again for the same twelve <laughs> minutes with one word that you've changed, and then yeah. they kill it. And you're like, yeah. "How did you?" Well, I've been changing two or three words to clean up the the entrance into that trick or the set or that setup into that joke. Yeah. Um, they're so willing to be persistent in small tweaks. To yeah. achieve a bigger goal, yeah, it's amazing that they do it, and the amount of confidence and courage it takes to stand there and not just crumple the paper and go, "That set sucks." Right. A lot of the best sets often sucked. Yeah. At I, one time,
0: <laughs> I, uh, I I relate stuff to martial arts all the time, just because that's my my real passion. Is I love that. But you see that with uh, you know, I went and rolled with um, uh, Hakeem Dollawall from UFC uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I got his back. Like, this is a UFC fighter, and I got his yeah. back. But what I realized was that he was trying something that he had never tried before, which gave me the opening, I saw it, and I got it. And then he flipped it around, really. Like, not that yeah. I'm a, a Hakeem-type yeah. martial artist at yeah. all. He would kill me in a second. Uh, which, by the way, he'll be the next podcast. Nice. Is, uh, after nice. you. <coughs> but... It's always about trying things. So it's not that you never get punched in the face. Because if you get never punched, never get punched in the face, you're not actually trying. It's like if you never fall on the ski hill, you're not trying. You know, if you don't, you know, try to turn up your power in golf, well, you're not. You're not going to get to that next level. So you have to fail somewhat at everything you do.
1: Hundred percent. I I feel like we get so caught up in thinking it needs to be one or the other. And I'm a huge believer in it's not win loss. It's win and learn. Mm -hmm. Um, the two scenarios. And at the end of the day, we need a healthy dose of winning to keep our confidence and motivation moving forward. But we need a healthy dose of learning to create perspective change and Grow, right. um, so we need. We need. You get experience from losing. Yeah, you get confidence from winning. Right, and too much confidence with no experience doesn't allow you to fix the problem when it goes south. Yeah, too much experience with no confidence doesn't go anywhere either. Right, y- you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, we we need we need to we need to put you know you need to put pilots in a flight simulator through every hurricane storm <sighs> and potential crash landing to get them the experience they need to land in those situations. But then we need to give them time to fly. On a straight line, up, down, in. Because they need confidence <laughs> that they can handle the aircraft. It's not who's going to fail. Right. You know what I mean? You need both. Yeah. Absolutely need both. And I mean, my son's hockey team, um, Adam Kids, they're 10. And that's the big rule I have is if you're not wiping out, you're not trying. Right. You are not pushing your envelope. Right. Every kid's going to wipe out at a different point today. But you better all have snow on your body when you're done this <laughs> practice. Or you didn't push yourself to the limits of your ability. Yeah. Your limits is where you fail.
0: I don't. Uh, I don't remember who originally said it. Jocko Willink says it quite often. He's a ex Marine, bodybuilder, um, inspirational speaker guy. He uh, he talks about most human beings won't go past the forty percent mark. That uh, you know they just take it to that comfortable level. And I remember um tra- training with David Lee in Kelowna, and I thought that I was a physically imposing person till I got in with really good martial artists. And they took me to this point where I actually vomited. Like I had pushed my body so hard that it went like, you're done. I can't do this anymore. And I vomited on the mat. And then Dave was like, clean it up. Let's keep going. And then I'm like, oh, I can keep going. Like there's, there's more inside of us. There's always... Well, sixty percent more than what we think we can oh, I do. I
1: would agree with that. I've never heard that uh, that percentage per se, but I would totally agree. I, I, I think, and it's not pessimistic to say, but I would say that virtually every human on this planet is an underachiever.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. No, you know what I mean? I'm totally not being pessimistic.
1: Agree. I'm just being realistic. Yeah. Um, the Our fact that the potential is yeah, is astronomical. The people who have success just j- just get closer to their potential but no one ever reaches their full potential like right. we've all got more in us and yeah. more that we can do and we don't know we don't know where the limit is until you've been there it's funny because we you know we I'm thinking of of pushing potential. I'm envisioning being 18 years old, flat broke, driving a vehicle and trying to push the potential of how far below the E that gas needle can get. Right. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I've been there. Like we we all we all want that extra sixty percent somewhere down there because we need it. Um but if only we could take that sort of in our life, if only we could push ourselves below that E yeah. as much as we can, you know, emotionally, physically, whatever. Right. And try to figure out ways to live underneath the empty sign. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: Well, and it changes, right? When you hit that, where you're like, oh, this is this is the bottom. This is as much as my bottom body has. The next time you do that and the next time you do that, all of a sudden there's a bit more gas in the tank. Sure there's. Right? You just, you build up to something great and you have to put that effort in. And that's sort of what I was talking about with that goal achieving. Like, I know there's people like, I'm sure Tiger Woods just played golf every single day, all day long. And he proved he's not great at relationships. And, you know, I don't know if he's good at money or not, but, you know, he, he has a lot of downfalls in his life, but he's a phenomenal golf player, right? That you have to find that balance that, yeah, you can be the top in golf in, you know, if I put my effort into it right now, maybe in what, eight, 10 years, if I play every single day, I could be a top golfer. Um, but, what would I be losing? What's the sacrifice? What's the sacrifice? It's the commitment <laughs> and sacrifice thing, right? That's
1: right. Uh, what are you willing to sacrifice to achieve what you want to achieve? Exactly. Um, and you have to be willing to look yourself in the mirror and go, "Yeah, that's what I'm willing to give up." Yeah. Um, the minute you are not willing to give up what you're giving up, it's a it's a failed effort. You 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 don't want to be in that direction. That's not where you want to go. That's not where you yeah. envision your life being. But you also have to you know be willing to give it up and and get there. And yeah, yeah, you have to be. You have to set your own boundary, I guess. Do you know what I mean? Everybody has that sort of um, pushing that limit and getting beyond that limit. For some people, it's one step beyond. For some, it's 50 steps beyond. Yeah. Um, We've all got to find those lines, but we've got to continually set that new line a little further away.
0: Yeah. We we can't all be Shaquille O'Neal's or Elon Musk's or, you know, these great people that have done great things. Yeah. I think it's OK to strive for that stuff, but not everyone is going to be there. We need the gas station attendant, and we need the truck driver and the construction
1: worker and the teacher. and hundred percent. You know, that. the interesting scenario is I can't be the next Shaquille O'Neal, but the next Shaquille O'Neal can't be the next Trevor Moore. That's right. At yeah. the end of the day, I have something in me somewhere too. Yeah, I just need to get the tank on empty to find out where it is. That's right. And inspire people with it and move forward in spite of what the needle tells me. Yeah. Um. And you know, be something to somebody. Yeah. Um. Be be significant rather than successful. We often get so measured in success. Yeah. Not enough on significance. And Shaquille O'Neal is a successful athlete, but. Um, he also has some significance to people in this world. He's, he's you know done charitable work. He's done things. He's done and motivated right. people to do certain stuff. So he has a lot of significance behind him. Yeah. It's not just his success that makes Shaquille O'Neal. Right. I'm a believer that Wayne Gretzky would have been a high-impact Canadian, whether he played hockey, lacrosse, or whether it was a Fortune 500 CEO. Right. He has a certain leadership skill set about him to get things done and do things a certain way, and the avenue you chose to do it. So his significance yeah. is actually more important than his success. right. Yeah, no, I, I agree.
0: I think successful people are just successful people, and it wouldn't matter if it was basket weaving or comedy or whatever. They're they're going to be successful, like absolutely. That. And that's why you see stuff like you know Elon Musk digging underground. Like no one would think about running tunnels under the city, but he did. Yeah, and he figured out how to do it exactly, right? Or sending a you know starting his own spaceship company. Yeah, he's got it exactly. Elon.
1: Very few people in this world, and I can't. In the, to the top of my head, maybe think of more than four or five who are lucky enough to be significant because of their success. Right, and that would be the person who um, insulin, who invented insulin or found insulin for a diabetic, or the right. person who eventually solves or or or, or, or cures cancer. Right. His success will be his significance on this world. Right, the inventor of the telephone, the inventor of the light bulb. They were successful, and their success created significance yeah. in this world today. It's the legacy you live. Yeah, but most people's success ends at their tombstone. Yeah. And if it ends at your tombstone, then you just focus too much on success. and You didn't focus enough on significance. If you have no legacy following behind you, right, then you're in trouble. That is
0: so powerful. And I think that people don't put enough um, thought into what their significance is. You know, being a good dad, that's really significant, right? Being yeah. a, a good mentor in the community, that's really significant. Um, having a million dollars in the bank won't do as much as what those will do.
1: No, it's exactly. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's amazing what... Uh, and that's the funny thing. That's where you don't know you don't know the full potential of your significance. Yeah. Um, every now and again, you get that glimmering moment where someone says or comments on something you've said or done, or they've seen you do, or or they followed something on social media, and they talk about how it impacted you. You're Like I had no idea that I have had a significant impact on this person, yeah. or that I could have ever had. I couldn't have. I couldn't have created that significance. It just happened. Right. Um, we often don't realize the extent of our significance, and a lot of times. Um, You know, I think that's maybe maybe one of those things where I think a a big thing for me that I'm trying to get so much better at, and I feel like I've been good at it to begin with, but we can always be so much better. I think we all need to get better at just telling people the significance they have in our life. And it doesn't need Mm. to be sit down and, and only talk to your family there is no reason whatsoever you can't tell the person standing in front of you at the subway line that you know what, I was having an awful day but I saw you smiling and it, <laughs> right. it literally changed my day. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. Um, there's no reason we can't let people know just how little it takes to be significant sometimes. Right. You don't need to be Elon Musk to be significant. Right. You don't need to be Tony Robbins to be significant. Yeah. Um, you can be significant to someone by acknowledging their significance to you. Right. And it can be to Joe Blow on the street or in the lineup.
0: I couldn't agree more. I think that, uh, you know, I'm not good at that. I'm not good. I'm really good with my kids, but no one else. Like I look at my kids and... Every time they they do something good or bad, I'm going to comment, and say, "Hey, that was amazing," or "Hey, how about next time try this?" or, you know, I'm 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 a really good encourager with them. But outside of that, it's it's a bit of a challenge. But I think you're right that if more people did that, we would see more successes.
1: Yeah, we often feel like that 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 the 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 moments need to be bigger than they are. Yeah, they, and they don't need to be right. I mean, they really do not need to be um, as big an effort as we think. You don't need to you don't need to step up in the in the morning and and. And, and and create world peace in order to be significant. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. You don't. You just yeah. need to make someone's day. Right. And my, so easy to do.
0: My son is an absolute tech kid, gamer kid. He, uh, he loves electronics and he's wanted to have a YouTube channel and all that for a long time. And we're working on getting a YouTube channel for the podcast. And so I had a guy over and we're talking about it and I asked him to be part of the conversation. You know, he's 12 years old and two adults talking. And in the middle of the conversation, he comes over, he gives me a really big hug and, um, I'm like, "Whoa, what's that for? Like you're sort of in the middle of a business meeting, but it's, it's okay. And he's like, I'm really impressed. You know, as much as you do, this is coming out of a 12 year old kid. (laughs) You know, I'm sure he thought I'm the big Goon that that gives him trouble all the time, and now all of a sudden, oh, he's not just the big goon. And so, yeah, it was it, it was heartwarming to say the least. And I impressed him by by um, doing it, and he impressed me by just coming out and saying it. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. take much. No, it doesn't. It doesn't at take all. much at all. Yeah. I
1: mean, uh, yeah, you know, it, it isn't the big moments are the easy ones to see. But um, you know, we we almost need uh, we almost need to approach life, you know, m- mentally with with bifocals, right? Yeah. We have to focus in long range and short term sometimes, and 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 not Think that it needs to be a big roadmap to being significant and successful in this world. It's just honestly, it's the win, right? What's important now? What can I do right now that changes something for somebody here? That's right. In this moment, and and uh, and it's so easy to do.
0: So we're hoping with the podcast. That's why it's called. I want to know. I want to know as much as I can about everybody. You, you've seen the the messages that I send. Oh, you're like, oh, what are we going to talk about? I'm like, oh, we can talk about anything. Just because you have something that I don't have. There, there's most definitely you do, and I want to hear those things as much as I can. Um, I met a guy last night for uh, for coffee, and he's like, I don't know what we were talking about. We sat in a coffee shop for an hour and a half. And I'm like, that could have been a podcast.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> right? It's yes. It's funny because. Uh, I can think back to the uh, time, um, a long time. I, used to, I've, I still do um, do segments on television for golf, yeah. um, golf instructional segments. And uh, sometimes the camera people just doing um, some white balancing and sound checks while me and the host uh, are talking, yeah. they're like, why were we not rolling? That was <laughs> the right. best tip ever. Yeah, it, But we can't recreate it right. because now it's going to seem so forced. Yeah. Um it was such an organic thing. And and that's the thing is is just coffee talk. Right. We we miss that. I mean, back in the day, my parents had people over coffee every weekend. There was someone over for coffee and cards. Yep. Um and they had a piece of cake. And yep. that was that was it. Yeah. Right. Uh, Way you went. Um, the, the
0: art of conversation is almost lost on our society because it's all digital now. And, and I think there's a lot of benefit in being able to text people and sending emails and sending videos to them. And, like, you know, I love getting videos of my nieces and nephews and what they're doing and what they're up to. That, that's fantastic. I wouldn't give that up for the world. But it's not nearly as good as sitting down with them and having a conversation, seeing the excitement as they tell me what their achievements were or who they're dating or whatever that to me is, you know, even what we're doing right here, that that's why I get energized by it is that there, there's, I don't know, there's just something that other people put off that I just get so excited about being part of. Yep, which yeah. Which is
1: interesting to me. Um, you say there are, there are, I probably have, I'm being an introvert, I have a, I have a small group of people that were my go-to phone calls and texts. <laughs> yeah. I have tons of friends and, but, but I, I have a real small circle of people that, that are very just, they're trusted in my world for me. Um, just some great, People that I would consider friends, mentors, everything uh, inspires to me. Um, But they are all just extremely good conversationalists. Yeah. Um, that we often, it's funny, one of them um, contacted me a while ago and said, we should uh, put an hour aside for uh, coffee. we got to talk about something. And I sort of laughed. I said, are you serious, an hour? (laughs) Like, when have we ever finished in an hour? Seriously. It's it's two and a half to three, falling off a log, and that's with us racing out in the last cup of coffee. Yeah, Like, stop it. It's not going to be an hour. Right. Ever. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But but the people that I go to the most are the best conversationalists. Yeah. Um, There is no... Um there's no structure to what we're gonna talk about. We you know one of us may have brought the two together because we were going to ask a question, but literally that question became so foggy, yeah, lost. But the reality is I actually got the answer by the end we didn't even really talk about the original question exactly. Because we just talked so much philosophically about stuff. And the reality is I just I just shaped my own answer to my question I was gonna ask you. Yeah. Um but or I, I, don't need I, answer, I don't even need to, even to ask, ask anymore. Now, yeah. I get it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um so you have those situations where they just unfold and and that would be some of the people in my life that I I enjoy the most. Um, yeah. And they're just great conversationalists. Yeah. They literally are. Um,
0: that was one of the inspirations for this. I would literally, there's a coffee shop in Erdrich called... Um good earth. And, uh, I'd go there for coffee at 10 in the morning, meeting one friend and, you know, start Facebooking, texting and people are like, where are you at? I'm like, oh, I'm having coffee. And I'm six, seven hours there having yep. coffee with people. <laughs> and the whole day, my wife's like, are you coming home for dinner? I'm like, oh, I'm trying to get out of here. <laughs> but then the next person, the next person, you can easily burn up two hours in a, in a good conversation. Oh,
1: hundred percent. I mean, um, I had, I had coffee with a guy, uh, a comedian, um, I think it was November, and he said he felt like uh, you, you barely got the egg out of the shell <laughs> in the first hour in any conversation. Anything worth talking about yeah. uh, has to start at the one-hour mark. Yeah. Um, if you haven't gotten through where your headspace is at, because sometimes the answer I'm going to give you later, I need to take it with a grain of salt based on the perspective of how you're feeling right now. I, I pulled right. that out of the first one hour. It's like, OK. Yeah. So I, I, get yeah, I, gonna get gonna I get where they're coming at. a good headspace. I get where they're coming at. I get where they're going. But that's good, because I need a good negative feedback. So I'm going to approach the question this because I want some good, honest, hard feedback. Great time. Right. If I'm looking for uh, this and I need them to see that side, not this. Not uh, maybe a yes not man kind of. Yeah, right. Yeah. You start to feel it out and you really kind of, you know your audience in the first hour. Yeah. Um, and, and you get a feel for that. And then you you can interpret their answer from where you know them to be. Yeah, um, And you know that the answer in general would have been the same, because they are the same person. But the, the, the toning and the understanding of just how it came about sometimes needs to be softened in for an hour.
0: Exactly. The uh, We had a guest on uh, the show uh, a while back. Her name's not coming to me right now, but she's a toy maker. And it was the most awkward 45 minutes, the first 45 minutes of the podcast. We just... Nothing seemed to line up. Everyone wanted to talk over everybody. There wasn't good information. And you know we were asking questions that, that she, I don't think, was anticipating. And then all of a sudden, we found out she was unschooled. Her parents were university professors. They basically, here's a room full of books. Do what you want to do. And she's very well-read, very smart. And so then she was super excited about talking. And then like the last 45 minutes to an hour of that conversation went brilliant. And I would have it again. But it would be... You know, we almost looked at it as an interview. And I went, oh, that was the problem. I got done, or I hit that 45 minute mark, and I'm like, that's what it is. Yeah. It was no no conversation. You it needed
1: was, to crack the shell.
0: That's it, yeah. You, so it, yeah. It, it was a good learning lesson for me, and good thing it's really early on in our podcasting career <laughs> to to see those problems and pick, pick up on them. You and learn to
1: grow from them, right? It's, yeah, it's, it's,
0: exactly. It's, to use the
1: leg, egg analogy, right? You got to crack to the shell. There's many, there may, there's many ways to properly cook an egg. Yeah. Whether you want them scrambled as an omelet, whether you want them over easy or sunny side up, they're all still a good egg. Yeah. Everybody has the right to get there, but we need to to get the egg out of the shell to determine how you want your egg.
0: That's right. Uh, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, that's brilliant, brilliant. I um, I wanted to ask you, I would put down a note earlier because this has always kind of bothered me. You listen to comedians on podcasts and they they talk about comedians stealing jokes or using their premise or whatever and they get... Very upset about it, um, which I understand. Like it's yeah. it's content, but there comes a time. Most comedians, you know, com- or um, club comedians, use something for a year or two, and then it's out the door. Every other artist out there, art form out there, has like cover bands. You know, you can go <laughs> sing some ACDC, and you can go, you know, paint like Picasso, and you can go do this. You can't do that in comedy. You yeah. you know that is very very much. You know, you can't go out and be the next. Brendan Schaub, like you can't take his last year stuff and go do it. They they will boo you off stage. They will maybe even hang you. Why do you think there's such a big difference in the comedy
1: world compared to other artists? That's a great question, and uh, I, th- I, th- I, you know, I think probably because when you look at uh, maybe the nature of the art. So let's look at the scenario that, uh, I mean, if you have your favorite band. Um, you could conceivably put that disc. I'm going to age myself. Put the put the CD in. <laughs> but you, you could literally put put your playlist together of your favorite band, and you could repeat that playlist end over end over end for right. the next 25 years of your life, and never get sick of hearing that song. Right. If you put your favorite comedian on your playlist, you could only listen to that joke being told so many times before you're done listening to the joke because so much of it requires the element of surprise, the element of not knowing where it's going and getting ahead of the audience. Right. A musician doesn't need to, I'm not waiting with suspense to hear what the next note or the next line of the song is. Yeah. I actually, part of the the connection with music is that I know the next line and the next note. Yeah. That's when you know it means something to you, right? Yeah. With magic and comedy, the element of surprise and the element of the, the performer being one step ahead of the audience Yeah is critical to the art form. So as soon as somebody starts using a material, stuff gets heard, stuff gets out. People are ahead of you, which eliminates the laugh factor. You haven't caught them by surprise. Right. So those are two scenarios where you do get that rap happening in magic and comedy. The, the tough part to me is, and I, I'm never too... I mean, I look at the situation, and I, I, I feel it's less. Um, it's less the material... It's more the personality. Yeah. Um, if someone is using, because there's some pretty stock standard lines that they're, they're, let's call them royalty free, so to speak, with air quotes, not. Yeah. In that way, but every every comedian uses them. It's a standard stock line for a heckler or something in the equation. We've got them, they're there. There's there's certain bullets in the chamber, so to speak. Yeah. No one ever wonders who's that originally was. <laughs> True you enough. know what I mean? But it's yeah. there. But the scenario is it's delivered in your tone and your personality and your style. Yeah. If you've got it with the same, if if you're a big Andrew Dice Clay fan fan and you give it the same, <laughs> you know, dragged-out tone of voice with the same enunciation and the same yeah. emphasis on certain syllables. We've got a problem, because now you're trying to be Andrew Dice Clay. You're not trying to use Andrew Dice Clay's line. Right. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's where I struggle yeah. with that situation, uh, is if, I think I think the big issue is more a case of, are you using their material, or are you using their personality? Because you have no right to their personality, and you can't pull it off anyway. Right. That's going to fail for you. Right. Um, and you, you'll be fine until you get someone in the crowd that goes, that sounded a lot like Dane Cook. <laughs> That's maybe a problem, right. Um, if it's one of those Dane Cook, and you, you'll hear it people are like Dane Cook has a similar piece, yeah, okay. so the premise was similar. My personality got into it different than his. People have a lot of give for that. That's not a big deal. Yeah, it's when you try to be Dane Cook. That's right. Um, because so many scenarios and it happens more, I mean, there's certain things that just um certain topics that are I, I think uh, I think comedians hold on to. Um, comedians that use political humor don't tend to get too wrapped up in people stealing their material because that material changes and evolves every 24 hours. Right. And that is the current topic in the media right now. Every comedian running a show is using that segue into that awful moment this morning. So there is some very similar stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's when you start getting into someone's like, well, this one time I was working the microwave, and it's like, this is so unique to this per- person. It's their experience that made the joke. It's something that happened that they've twisted in their own way with wording to make funny. Right. Now I'm sensitive to people using that. Yeah. I, I literally wrote that joke because it wrote itself life. because I had that happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, So yeah, sometimes sure. the topic creates yeah. people's attachment to it as well. Stuff. Some stuff is just situational and really it needs to be left to the person that come up with the situation because they own that experience. Yeah. And I think that gets the sensitive piece.
0: I just wrote down a note to Netflix and right now what Netflix is doing because they can't get enough full comedy specials is what they're doing. um, I don't remember what it's called right now. But they basically took four or five comedians and gave them each 15 or 20 minutes to put out their most relevant jokes. Yeah. Um, And I'm not liking it at all. I like that year-long build-up, but you have all these topics that in a year from now aren't going to make, you know, right? the yep. Me Too topic. Yep.
1: If you're not exactly. doing
0: jokes about Me Too right now, in a year, no one's going to care.
1: Exactly. It's not fun. It's, it's got a shelf life. That's It's got right. an expiry date. And yeah. When you when you deal with, you know, the political realm, you deal with, um, yeah, societal topics, things like that, they have a shelf life. Yeah. Absolutely have a shelf life. Some ta- some comedy lasts forever. Yeah. That's why you watch, I mean, you, you get, everybody gets that one time where your uncle or your dad's like, this is the best comedian you never you go to watch and you are like this is awful. Yeah, but it's because you can relate to the time sensitive information. It was funny back then because you remember in the seventies when you know women couldn't vote this and that and had, like <laughs> that's why it was funny to you back then. But it doesn't make any sense to me now.
0: No right, it, yeah. none.
1: But you get the old comedian where you are like that is hilarious because they're talking about waking up and having a shower and singing to yourself and how everybody right. thinks they're a singer in the shower. We can all relate. It doesn't matter if it was nineteen sixty or two thousand eighteen. We all relate to that moment.
0: Yeah, Richard Pryor does a bit about boxing. It is probably, I don't know, I want to say from the early 70s maybe. Um, And still, it blows my mind how funny it is today. I just found it, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. I probably listened to it three or four times because it is absolutely hilarious. But not many comics have that ability to pull their stuff into the future, right? Exactly. They're very much that, that we're going to make fun of this because it's happening right now, yep. and they don't have that ability to grasp onto material for the future.
1: Well, it's funny because I I was talking to someone about this the other day. Um, whether you watch you know Jimmy Fallon or whether you watch you know Colbert or whether you watch any one of the the late shows, um, you start to get a feel like they're losing their creativity because they are simply mocking the U.S. political situation right now. Right, it's the easy, relevant topic. <clears throat> there seems to be so little. You, you rarely get caught off guard by a joke that had nothing to do with. I mean, you you know where their monologue is going, right? You know where their show is going every single night because it's easy because it's there. But and they have to. They got to do five shows
0: a week. They exactly. got to do fifteen minute
1: monologue, and they have yeah. twenty writers. The problem is today's relevance isn't changing. Right, it's the same relevance every day, so they're stuck in this moment where it's one of those. I feel like we're missing so many great late night comedian talk show hosts and their ability to just let it rip on. Day to day topics, but they can't get there, yeah, because the current climate is just so Groundhog Day, yeah, that they they have to revisit <laughs> it every a, day. And you're like, a man, point. like, can we yeah. can we have a, a slow news day so these guys can let it rip on yeah. the squirrel in Central Park that stole the wedding ring from the? You know I mean, like, can we have a funny <laughs> joke about something, something else? Yeah. Like, please, they don't get there, and no. they they're great. Their jokes are there. They have to do it. I get it, but. I think we're just squashing so much great creativity. Yeah,
0: and and you sort of get it. If you had an opportunity to be a Jim and Fallon and just read off a script and get paid whatever $2 million a show, there would be no hesitation in my mind at all. I'm like, yep, I'll go do that. Absolutely. Right? And then there's other guys out there grinding, like you look at the, the Burt Kreisers or the... Um, I don't know, the Tony said that they're hitting all the clubs, they're traveling all over, but they have some amazingly funny stuff.
1: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the, yeah, I mean, don't begrudge them. They got to do what they got to do. They're on TV for a reason. They've that's got right. uh, they got a following, they got viewers, and they have a style. Yeah. But uh, you just wonder how long it'll be before um, things like ratings will determine that, you know what, we're all kind of tired of yeah. this. Um, we kind of want the old talk shows back.
0: Do you, do you ever have a... Um the goal, or, or feel like you want to do something more like that, a more steady job again?
1: Uh, no, you know, I like, I, I, I mean, it, it, to look at a, in an ideal world, I'd love to do a talk show. I think it'd be awesome. It'd yeah. be so much fun. Um, again, it would be just people sitting on a couch drinking coffee, right? It's, it's a yeah. podcast brought on, on TV, right? I would love to do something like that. I think it'd be so fun. It would be super neat to have that consistent sort of stable day-to-day scenario. But by the same token, I, I don't know, I don't know if that fits my overall personality. Yeah. Y- you know what I mean? Um, I like the fact that I literally get up every morning and have to look at my calendar and go, am I wearing a golf shirt today? Am I wearing a suit today? Yeah. Uh, am I Staying wearing my pajama pants or... with a car? Co- <laughs> like, um, do I bring out the clean t-shirt today? Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, what is my day consistent? And I think that's part of the scenario. I never really get bored of what I'm doing. Yeah. And I feel like I would probably... Uh, I feel like a talk show or something like that is maybe um, is maybe the, the the mundane nine to five day job of the entertainment world. Yeah, where it's kind of the old. Well, I want the day job, but I kind of want it on my terms. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be an entertainer in a nine to fiver.
0: Well, that's the great thing about podcasts, right? Is that we can do whatever we want, and we got to adjust based on what you know sponsors want or um, viewership is looking for, and and happy to do that. But for the most part, I get to do whatever I want. You know, drive out to Medicine Hat for the day and and talk to you sitting here in your kit. It's it's brilliant. I love it. Yeah. Um, and uh, to sit in a studio for six or seven hours a day might not be the same excitement. Yeah,
1: I, I, uh, I, I yeah, not to me. Yeah. You know, not to me. I, I think, uh, I, I, yeah, I think I would get lost in it. It would be fun for a while. Um, I, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to do a guest spot in yeah. a second you know it's someone someone say we need someone need someone in for 6 weeks can you take awesome dreamed it <laughs> yeah. um, it's funny it actually-
0: broke his leg can't come on yeah yeah, yeah take fun- over.
1: It, it, I guess sort of this just came to me I guess um probably about a year just maybe over a year ago uh local um, a radio station uh, morning host they were between uh the sidekick had left and and moved to Winnipeg okay. and they were in the process of hiring and while they were hiring they needed someone else on the air and uh so I did a a one week stint on a morning show. How was that? Uh, that was awesome. It was super <laughs> fun. I, it was it was it was tons of fun. Great people that were there and I enjoyed it. It was neat. It was neat to see the other side of that equation and yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it. It it didn't feel like work at all. It was uh not difficult. But uh, a week was good. Yeah. So you were done after <laughs> that. And by the, by the end it was like uh, yeah, no I <laughs> I think we're okay. <laughs> cool, uh, cool. Yeah, it was cool.
0: I was watching, uh, I think it was a documentary a couple nights ago. I've been watching lots of magic stuff knowing that I was coming to see you. And and this one guy was doing, um, or I guess the way it was filling in his finances was he was doing these table shows. So you could hire him to come to your house and you know they would cater. And then you were sitting at a table and you do magic and talk and yeah. joke and, and that kind of stuff. I never heard of that before.
1: Yeah, I actually have a, a show like that. I call it my unplugged show, Magic okay. and Comedy of Trevor Moore Unplugged. Okay, uh, and it's designed for small private groups. I do it uh, at, at homes for you know private cocktail parties. Yeah, uh, I'll do it uh, <laughs> small, sort of small, small, small events where they'll have sort of a back room. There's a restaurant in town that's sort of a back room table type of thing that seats you know sort of twelve to fifteen people. Yeah, um, they'll have sort of VIPs come in and 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 do the back table and have a full chef experience, and I'll come in and perform a couple of small sets in between their meal service. Yeah. Uh, up close, personal. No mics, no light, no sound, nothing like that. Just uh, up close, personal, interactive. It's got to be a
0: challenge.
1: It's absolutely my favorite show to perform, 100%, really? without a doubt. And of all the people who have seen my my Roaming Close-Up Magic or my Unplugged show or my Stand-Up Magic and Comedy show, anybody that's seen all three will say that my Unplugged show is without a doubt their favorite style of show to really? see me perform. Um, it is Absolutely a favorite all it just doesn't fit every venue that's yeah. just, I mean you can't do an unplugged show in front of 300 people right it just doesn't work <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah. especially when you're doing cards um, but so it, it doesn't work enough i I would exclusively perform that style of show if it worked i've loved the times I've been invited in. I love the intimacy of it like um, to be brought into somebody's house and perform around the kitchen island while people have a glass of wine in one hand and a plate of chicken wings and, and cocktail skiers or shrimps on the side. And yeah. just to be invited into someone's home yeah. um, is, is a pretty nice experience as an entertainer, to really be brought in yeah. to one of the most intimate environments of their, their lives, their home. That's it, yeah. In, in their home. Yeah. Uh, and we want you to bring your entertainment to us in the place we are the most comfortable. Right. It's just a whole different tone. Must be a blast. It is. It really is. I love it. I just love those style of shows. Um,
0: This magician had a total different view. Like, to him, it was a chore he had to do to fill in his finances. He's like, I'll do them, but they're so hard, and they're this, and they're that. And I went, man, I just... I, I just couldn't piece together the um, why he was even doing them. But I guess you, know, you got to pay your bills. You got to pay your bills, right? Well,
1: it's, it's, a, it's a service model. It's one that fits. I mean, any business person, I, I mean, I look at it and think, I mean, at the end of the day, I perform magic and comedy, but the reality is I'm a businessman who sells magic and comedy. Right. Um, from the business side of the equation, the job of any business, specifically service industry, is to find a niche. Yeah. And at the end of the day, there are small offices yeah. who are going, we want to take our top five clients and have them at our house with a chef experience in our home, yeah. how can we make this fun, entertaining, and really welcoming to these top clients? Yeah, what a special experience! Yeah, you know what I mean. In in the situation you're going into, so there's tons and tons of need for that. Yeah, um, you know, uh, I had a friend one time. It was it was super informal, but uh, uh, we went and watched uh, at the it was the Calgary Hitman and the and uh, Medicine Hat Tigers in the Saddledome in Calgary, and his corporation had a, a box. Yeah. and he'd say, hey, bring some stuff in the intermission. Maybe you can, I did. I did a few card tricks in the intermission for his buddies that were in the thing. It was just, it was a super fun experience Yeah. Um, because it was that situation. I mean, it was just, it was a situation where, um, that's the one situation where I truly get to feel the energy of the audience, Yeah. not just see the energy of the audience. When you're on a stage, you can see the smile, you can see the eyebrow raise. You don't feel it, you yeah. see it. You know what I mean? Um, when you're up close and personal, you sort of hear the, <gasps> A little <laughs> sigh. You hear the, oh, the, yeah, the. The gas. Yeah, excitement, you, the... you, you get to hear and feel Very their energy cool. right there. And it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Um, it's, it's a great environment. I, I would honestly would perform that every single day of the week yeah. if there was enough opportunity to do it.
0: It's almost like you need to open a restaurant and have a back room. Yes. <laughs> it, which is
1: funny because I remember years and years and years ago the thought was, yeah, that'd be pretty cool to have like a magic cafe and do that. But again, that comes down to that gets too close to the magic side of the equation being like the comedy club in the sense that have I'd have to, to change, change my it. show every time. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't want to. I have multiple shows. I can do the same venue multiple times for the same audience, but yeah, I can't do a year. I can't do fifty-two weeks. <laughs> right. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, um, it's just not, yeah. especially not to pump out good quality material, right? It's it, it's the the it's just important to. It doesn't get good right until you know that's the irony of great material in magic and comedy is that when it gets really good, it's unfortunately time to retire it, right? Like, yeah. but the time you hit its peak, by the time you've hit the right wording, get. the timing, the entrance in there, we go. You're like, what next? And you're like. Uh, new, new trick that's Like gotta I
0: gotta be scary like just to like oh this is the best I've got see you later
1: yeah you have you have those moments where you're like that was so good and that that piece is done yeah I just I, I hit it right there that's the moment and uh, I can't recreate it yeah. I just it happened and you know what I'm gonna sub a new piece in right there and it happens it changes it just it does yeah. sometimes and for really weird reasons. But I love that environment. It's strange to hear that that the guy didn't like it. But you know what? Some people like performing at children's birthday parties. I do not. I right. teach their own. Uh, <laughs> it fits your uh, it fits your style.
0: Uh, I was the same thing in martial arts. I teach adults and everyone's like, "Oh, you got to teach my kids." I'm like, "Nope. I don't, yeah. don't, don't want to talk to your kid." At it's a all. it's a different
1: thing. I love kids to death. <laughs> I do too. Um and uh, I love to see them laugh and giggle, but uh, um, kids kids
0: poop and fart jokes is all it's going it, to be. That's right? exactly. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. It, it's exactly. I mean, there's only so much you can do and they are, um, they are one of the most humbling crowds. Like kids, kids are like are like yeah. they're like hecklers in training. Yeah. Like you had eighteen kids at a birthday party, every one of them is heckling. Right. You're like, man, it's a tough night at a comedy club when you got one, maybe two hecklers or a table that's kind of into you. Yeah. We got the whole room ripping me to shreds here. And I got it's, a fourteen year old daughter that looks at me like I'm retarded when I'm. Trying. That's exactly. It's just it's ridiculous, right? And yeah. and uh, you just. Yeah, it's just a bizarre situation. The very one of the very first times, this is a story I'll never forget. uh, It sounded on the on the back end of the equation. It sounded like a brilliant idea by my mom, um, (laughs) and uh, but but it it was horrific. Um, I was just sort of you know still hobbyish kind of performing, not really you know too deep into this yeah. um, and uh, had some tricks. I'd never routine. You know, there's no segue or structuring of the tricks going on. I was just like this trick and done, next trick and done. <laughs> like, I was like your basic <laughs> hobby magician, right? Yeah. And uh, she had an, an idea uh, at uh, a family wedding. She's like, you know what I think would be interesting? She said, because the, the day after the wedding at the gift opening, uh, it's a horrible experience sometimes with the bride and groom because they become a human jungle gym to every niece, nephew, and cousin in the room. They right. all want to sit on their lap. They want to help opening the presents. Yeah. They're trying to enjoy the adults. They're trying to enjoy the the loved ones that are around them. And the kids the kids make it very difficult. Right. A gift opening is very difficult with lots of kids around at a wedding. Yeah, I get it. I've seen it happen a million <laughs> times. Mom's like, well, maybe during the gift opening, you could take all the kids and do a small show for them to occupy the kids (laughs) so the bride and groom could just relax and and be like, what a great idea. Like At the end of the day, it was like, that sounds mm -hmm, brilliant. And uh, I did my first trick for the group of kids. And as I was getting my stuff for the second uh, trick, uh, I got hit with what turned out to be a pair of socks that were rolled into a ball. (laughs) And I was like, what... uh, so I picked him up. I was like, whose socks are these? And the kid in the back says those are mine. And I was like, well, what are you, what are you doing? And he's like, well, you're not magic. And I was like, well, dude, I'm just dude, I'm swarming up. Like, let me get into it. He goes, no, no, no. If you're magic, turn the socks into a chicken or we're all leaving. <laughs> a, leadership skills. The kid's pretty solid. He's got some confidence. Uh, and yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, just uh, at the end of the day, you've got to do, you've got to do uh, um, you got to do the socks to do a chicken. I was like, I I can't.
0: (laughs) I don't have a chicken. Let me
1: me do a second trick and and just, you can make up your mind after. So I do another trick and everyone's like, that's good, but do the chicken trick. I was like, I don't have a chicken trick. We'll do the trick he was talking about. He made the trick up. There was no trick. Like the whole show was defending myself about the grand finale, which was going to be a chicken trick that they they were waiting for the chicken trick. Right. Didn't happen. I was like, this is awful. Yeah. (laughs) Just awful. You can't recover. That's exactly
0: why I don't like dealing with groups of kids. They got a gang mentality. I don't. Care if they're six or ten or twelve. They are. They are. They are mean little critters. <laughs> they can be. They're.
1: They're just trying to figure out life, right? Like they're. Yeah. Um. They're just. Uh, <laughs> they're interesting. Yeah. They're good though. I mean, they. They. You sure sharpen your chops and your delivery real fast, oh, and you yeah. learn people management real quick. But uh, I think every entertainer needs to, or every teacher needs to experience the young kid to yeah. to really truly ho- hone their craft. But all the power to children's entertainers uh, that are full-time in the entertaining world. I mean, I I can do them. I can have fun. Most people wouldn't know I didn't enjoy myself at a kid's show as much as... (laughs) I mean, it's not as though I stand there and pout. Right. But holy cow, it takes... I'm nervous beyond belief for a kid's party. Like, uh, I've done, well, You got picked done on. I've done thousands like. of people and no nerves. Uh, a kid's party for 12 kids in a basement, yeah. nervous, sweating, can't eat for the three hours before. <laughs> I'm just nauseous. It's, well, it's, a,
0: l- it's like if you get mugged in a back alley, you very rarely go
1: back into that back that's alley a, that's again. exactly. That's <laughs> exactly it, right? Like, oh. I mean, I look at it, so many of the uh, horrific learning experiences I had were at kid's shows um, yeah. as an early entertainer. <laughs> they were all such good growing experiences, but Wow. Yeah. Um, they always talk about preparing preparing for the worst and accept the best in terms of environment that you yeah, perform yeah. in. And until you've performed for kids, you don't have any idea what the worst looks like. Yeah. You you don't know what
0: I think so many people just think that what I do is transferable to everything, right? Like if I sell this, well, then I can sell that. And maybe it's true in some cases, but it's just, it's not the absolute truth. To be able to teach martial arts to adults is not the same as teaching it to kids. Like how do you, how do you herd cats? Herding cattle is pretty easy. Herding cats is not not not. the same.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and you can, you can use a spray bottle to herd cats, but you can't, you can't (laughs) use a spray bottle on children.
0: (laughs) That's frowned upon. Yeah, exactly. It definitely
1: doesn't go well. <laughs> um, it, it is different it's having to know your audience right yeah. um, it, like anything if you don't know your audience and you can't get connected on their level somehow you're gonna you're gonna miss horribly whether it's sales and I mean let's be honest it, comedy and magic are, are, are just sales yeah we're selling an experience or we're selling exactly. a moment that we're baiting and switching you to something else that's that's this is sales yeah at the end of the day it's what it is yeah um, sales is sales is sales and a good salesperson a good salesperson could sell anything yeah but just because you're good at selling doesn't mean you could be a good salesman, if right. that makes sense. Yeah, it does, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, you you're very good at the stuff you know, but but you you've just relied upon the niche that was there. There was no connection. You could have totally upselled that into the two year package, not the one. Like you've missed tons of moments here where a good salesperson just they can sell anything. Yeah, exactly. And they're not even trying. Yeah. They're just connecting. They're just aware of their audience and and they're on the same level.
0: Cool. I don't want to uh, just uh, change topics quickly, but I'm going to. I get in trouble for a <laughs> it your podcast. Time. You're <laughs> allowed to
1: tap the brakes occasionally.
0: I, uh, I've been thinking about it for a while. We talked about you uh, going vegan and, and taking care of your body and inflammation, but we never found out why. What was the chronic <laughs> yeah. pain cause? Yeah. By? Uh,
1: well, we still don't totally know to this point in time. Um, so, roughly seven years ago now, um, basically excruciating pain in my ankle and Achilles tendon, my right foot. Um, (laughs) Really no, nothing that really brought it on. No real, I didn't roll my ankle. I didn't, yeah, I didn't injure working out. I didn't like just, uh, spent a lot of time off and on crutches and, and lots of pain meds and, and we've done x-rays, bone scans, MRIs, ultrasounds, everything under the sun. Uh, never have really found out what's definitively causing the, the, the swelling and the pain in the area. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we're just, the reason we went vegan and vegetarian was to sort of manage the inflammation to try to bring down the amount of meds I was on because the meds yeah. were causing other problems. I was anemic because my yeah. stomach was bleeding because of all the meds. Yeah. So the less meds we could take, the better. And it was
0: all just anti-inflammatory pain meds. Yeah, yeah.
1: exactly, right? Yeah, so those are hard on your body. Uh, oh, it's awful. So you can only be on them for so long, let alone years. Yeah. Um, so we never really have found out what the situation was that's caused it. It's still there. We just sort of manage it through the pain, did a small sort of um, experimental procedure, maybe, if you will, Uh, surgery in Calgary uh, last February, where they went in and took a couple chunks of bone, and it sort of to maybe rub the tissues differently and create some room for the swelling and not put the pressure on and see if that would work. Uh, It sort of seemed at first like it was really going to work. It seemed super optimistic about six or 10 weeks out of post-op, but uh, it went really back downhill real fast. So now I'm at the pain clinic, and uh, we're working through some stuff at the pain clinic, um, he's not sold on me having to be vegan or vegetarian, but he said it certainly doesn't hurt anything. Right. Um, he's the one that sort of advocated for bringing some fish in, he said, because that has some oils, which can be proven to be good for joint yeah. health. Omega-3s, Omega-6s. Yes. so we've started to introduce some of that a little bit, and um, and we've taken a little different approach, or he's taken a little different approach. Now I'm going to say we. I mean, he delivered it. I accepted it and we're working as a team. It is we. Yeah. Although he came up with the idea, it's a we. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, But it it is sort of the, you know, his belief, I'm trying to think of the simplest way to explain the long-winded answer. Because after seeing seven different orthopedic surgeons, two rheumatologists, my family doctor, tons of specialists, chiropractors, physios, all coming up with the blank. We know the pain and swelling's there, but we don't know why. Yeah. Um, The pain clinic, uh, the gentleman said, uh, so my question is, we've looked at the file, we've looked at every report, so how many more reports do we need that say you're healthy before we agree you're healthy? Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm not healthy. I got pain. He goes, no, just work with me for a second. He said, how many reports do we go through that say you're healthy before we finally go, maybe I am healthy? Yeah. My thought was like, well, are you saying I'm imagining this? He goes, no, the bone scan proves that there is inflammation and not you're not you're not making this up. It's not in your head. Right. He said, but the natural response to pain is a very healthy thing. Yeah. Pain is what happens when you, you know, you fracture your leg, you're in pain and that pain reminds you that your leg might be broken, go seek help Yeah, and B, stay off the leg or you're going to damage it worse. It has an actual good function. Right. Um, And usually there's trauma which creates the pain as a symptom. Yeah. What if I suffer from the disease of pain? Yeah. What if the pain is the trauma? Okay. Not trauma causing the pain. So what if the pain isn't a symptom? What if the pain is the problem? Hmm. Um, he said, because your joint function is normal. Yeah. It moves as it should. There's no cracks, no fractures, stru- structural things wrong. So the only thing that stops me from doing anything I want to do is pain. The pain. Not function. Yeah. Usually poor function. You can still golf, run. I, I can could. Still, if I could yeah. handle the pain, I could totally do it. Yeah. So he said, if we could get rid of the pain, would you be fine? I said, well, yeah, I would be. He goes, so it's a different problem. Yeah. He said, because you have a broken leg and we give you something to get rid of the pain, could you go run? No, because my legs broken. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So the only thing holding me back is the pain. Yeah. There's no actual quote unquote cause of the pain other than pain, sort of as a disease, if you will, of its own. Yeah. So we're taking the approach of sort of mental and sort of cognitively a little bit, trying to um, change the signal in my brain a little bit to make sense. I mean, I, one example that that I give often with the approach we're taking is is the the signal that you get from your brain. So example I give all the time that anybody can relate to, you get that moment where you're sitting in a chair, you have to go to the bathroom real bad, you got to pee. Yep. You get up and you're like, I'm going to race to the bathroom and go pee. <laughs> Halfway to the bathroom, the phone rings. You grab the phone call because it was a person you were waiting to hear from. 45 minutes of that phone call, you've forgotten that you had to go pee. Right. It's not that you no longer have to. It's just your body kept saying, here's you a prioritize signal. Prioritize what needs to be done. Here's a signal from the bladder. And it says, you've got to go pee. Yeah. And you listen to it and go pee. And it keeps saying it and keeps saying it until you listen. Eventually, yeah. when you quit listening, it's like, listen, I've done my job. Yeah. I've told you you've got to pee. If you wet yourself, this is on you now, dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not telling you anymore. It quits telling you you have to go pee. Yeah, The signal's gone. The problem isn't gone. The signal signaling that problem is gone. Right. Because your body's just like, why would I send it if you're not going to listen to it? Yeah. So I've got to sort of get to the point where I quit listening to the pain signal yeah. where your body's like, your foot's sore, stay off it. Your foot's sore, stay off it. I need to start working through that saying, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm yeah. okay. So it's kind of a weird one, but I honestly think as crazy as it sounds, it is making some sense. It's taking some edge away. Yeah. Um, I think we're getting in the right direction. So it's a work in
0: progress. Have you ever heard of uh, active release therapy?
1: I have, yes. Okay. Yep. No, no results No, no there. results there. It actually was that, it was so bad at one point in time, I couldn't have massage in the area. It would flare it up. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't do yoga, couldn't swim, couldn't ride a bike. Wow. Uh, anything to do with the foot or the joint at all would create weeks of, chronic pain on crutches and, and big problems. So
0: Crazy.
1: So it was really weird. Yeah, I couldn't do any, you know, even physio, we'd, we'd get, out of physio, be like, oh, my foot is super loose. Uh, next day, I would feel great the day after. 10 times worse than the day before I went in. So we'd take two or three wow. weeks out of physio, go back, they'd loosen it up, it'd feel great for a day, go downhill the day after, two or three weeks, letting the pain and swelling go down, start again. Crazy. We couldn't gain any traction. Yeah. So, um, which is the scenario, which is why, the, I mean, those simple scenarios like massage, physio, Cairo. Um, those things should not aggravate it, really. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, to that extent, you should get some traction and some progress with it, but those made it worse. Yeah. So that's where, and none of them were really related. Whether it was weight-bearing or not, didn't matter. So they said, eh, uh, there's a signal here. Yeah. It's There's something, it's not about the actual movement. It's about the signal your body's getting about it. Yeah. Um, so it's about shutting that down at some point in time. So that's Mentally what we're working on now. Getting yeah. over that hump. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Being a little bit more um, accepting of it. I mean, obviously, I mean, uh, when you go through chronic pain, you get that situation where you know everybody always says, you know, just don't be pessimistic. You got to be optimistic. And the reality is, optimism has as much despair as as pessimism. Realism is is the answer. Yeah. Um. You can be overly optimistic and, and fail in your expectations every time, and eventually right. it will wear in your your psyche. Yeah. Um. You can be pessimistic and never get anything that you want out of it because you're <clears> too <throat> negative to see any of the small results you're getting. You need to be realistic. Yeah. And I just need to be more realistic with each and every day. And 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 take the pain for what it is and ask myself what I can do through the pain today, then that's what I'm going to do today. Very cool. Um, Some days I might eventually end up being able to go for a light run. Uh, Some days I might be able to go swimming. Some days I may not be able to. It's okay. Just take it real. Take it for what it is. Yeah,
0: that is so important to look at it that way. I love that. How you, you said the optimism and pessimism and realism. The yep. realism is is the important part, right? And sure we, is. we all have this ability to overcome things uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Just some people choose not to. Yeah, right. You, you have to consciously put an effort into like, okay, I'm in pain today, but this is what I'm going to do.
1: Yes. Overly optimistic can be a sense of denial. Overly pessimistic can be a sense of denial. Yeah. Realistic, there's no denial. You're embracing what is taking place right in front of your face right now, which is where that, that we talked earlier, the win process, the what's important now. Yeah, It's not important. What's important tomorrow doesn't matter. What's important yesterday today. is irrelevant. <laughs> what can I do today? I can go for a bike ride. Let's do this. Yeah. Um, what's important now? Um, it's really what we need to do. That's right? very cool. The realism of it all. We we get. I think we get so wrapped up in the optimism and pessimism, and just just be real.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. I'm I'm I think more of a realist than anything else. Cause I don't look at something going. Oh, I could totally do this. I'm like, let's go see if I can do
1: this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Often looking and think about. It. I could probably learn to do it. Yeah. I don't think I can totally do it. Yeah. yeah let's not make it that simple, dude. It's there's more to it than just picking right. up and doing it. Yeah. But I think I'm capable. Yeah. Well, let's yeah. get there. Let's be realistic. What can I do today? What's step one of the progression curve here?
0: Exactly.
1: Um, but uh, and you hear people oftentimes when. when 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 they either you know financial or whether they get physically healthy or mentally healthy or whatever the scenarios that the business really grows, you often hear it's like the the buzzword like what happened? Well, I just I finally got real with myself. Yeah. Oh, so you dealt with realism. <laughs> Interesting, <laughs> because for ten years you were overly optimistic, and the ten years before that you were overly pessimistic, and you just you bounce between the two poles, but. Let's be real about it. Let's be real. Let's live live down the center line here.
0: This is obviously what you're doing in coaching is you're just talking about what's really going on. So you do coaching for golf, obviously. Do you do business coaching in that as well?
1: A little bit, not in a formal sense, getting into it a little bit more and more now. Um, More a case of through people maybe as mentors. Um, But I mean, some of my favorite mentors um, claim I mentor them and the reality is I claim they mentor me. The reality (laughs) is most mentorship situations are... They're just great relationships where it goes back and forth. If, yeah. Everybody should be learning in a mentorship situation. So um, yeah, I, I, I do mentor other business people in yeah. that sense. It air quotes. It feels kind of arrogant to say that. I don't ever walk into it thinking I'm mentoring anybody. Right. I just go into it being me yeah. and thinking the conversational guide. It. And I'm actually there trying to guide something out of the conversation for me, but actually someone gets something out of it. It yeah, yeah. goes both ways. Yeah. Right. So um, no, nothing formally business coaching-wise. Starting to get more into that. I want to really progress into that scenario a little bit more. Taking some of my experience as a, as a golf coach, yeah, um, with some of what we've done with team building and leadership, and uh, just just changing our paradigm, the way we view things, and the way we tackle things, the way we set goals, um, the way we measure our perspective on those goals as we chase them. Yeah, um, so many of the little things. I think the structure, the structure is there for everyone to succeed in anything they want to do. Yeah, it's the soft stuff that isn't there. I, I always use the analogy of a brick wall. That 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 the the structure of a brick wall. What makes a brick wall strong? People say, well, the bricks. No, it's not. It's the mortar. The mortar, yeah. The stack reality is a, sta- a stack of bricks is not, you're not there. And what people do is they often get this sort of disjointed stack of bricks. They're like, there, it's solid. No, it's easy to tip over. So what they do is they add more bricks. Yeah. It just gets more and more and more and more unstable. Right. How about we mortar those bricks together? It's the little stuff that matters here. That's right. And and that's the situation. I think anything we want to grow and, and create perspective in, we have to really nurture people's mortar more. Everybody has the bricks they need or access to the bricks. That's right. not the problem. Yeah. Not in this day and age, for sure, everyone has access Access to the bricks. That's like, exactly. going You said
0: it earlier. Go on
1: YouTube. Go on you YouTube. Can learn to anything. At the end of the day, I could learn to perform ninety percent of the open heart surgeries if I look for a YouTube video or Google yeah. something. It's there. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean I could do it. It's there. Right. Uh, the difference is the surgeon has the mortar. They right. know how to <laughs> monitor blood pressure signs <laughs> while doing this. They're doing twenty-two things while this little procedure is going on. I'm just seeing the small scope of the procedure. That's right. Yeah. It's the little stuff. So
0: I had said this to my kids the other day. We were talking about careers and where they're going to go and what they want to do, and they're they're still into. They're they're twelve and fourteen. They don't have it figured out. I'm like, you just got to realize that almost every career that you choose is just doing the same thing over and over again. That's, that's really what it is. You, you have an act that you do or a couple yep. acts that you do and surgeons, you know, they, there's not surgeons that do brain surgery and toe surgery and, and bisectomies and, you know, they yeah. typically just do a heart surgery yep. and that's all they concentrate on. And they just do the same damn thing every day yep. in and out. Right. Yep. And that's, that's essentially what that life is. It actually brings me back to what you were saying about being significant or being successful, that, that, that you can be super significant with those those little traits that you, you learn, you pass on. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. You, you look at doctors, everybody talks about bedside manner. Yeah. It's not really about what they knew. Sometimes they didn't know the answer, but you know what? You, you felt good being with them. That's right. Um, you felt cared yeah. for. You yeah. felt they were significant to my journey. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? Part Even, of the placebo effect, right? Like, exactly. Oh,
0: my pain went away because somebody understands it. Exactly, yeah. right?
1: So it's just, they they were significant. And yeah, they, yeah the Bedside manners the, is the mortar that holds a surgeon's bricks together.
0: It's a brilliant place for us to stop. So, uh... Uh, we're an hour and 45 minutes in. Nice. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. Let everyone know how they find you and uh, social media, website, all that stuff.
1: Yeah, you bet. Website uh, trevermore.ca yeah. uh, has links on there to my various social media through LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, and Twitter. I don't think Instagram's on there yet, though, but uh, most of my social media, um, I, I like Instagram, uh, I like Twitter, and uh, Facebook. Uh, you can get me at Trevormore Inc. I N C. Trevormore Inc. Trevor Moore, Inc awesome um, you can get me there so lots of different ways to get a hold of me
0: i'll post it all when we uh, put this up uh, in about a week uh, again thank you so much for having me in your home and, and having the conversation with me and uh, hopefully we'll have you back again
1: i look forward to it thanks for making the trip down and i uh, look forward to continuing to chat with you further
0: awesome all right everybody check out our social media check out Trevor's social media uh keep your eyes open we're going to be starting a youtube channel here in the next 30 to 40 days somewhere around there so love you all thank you so much